Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's Friday Free For All. Я не знала, кто будет на этой встрече, кроме того, что мне было сказано, что, в принципе, значит, со мной готов был встретиться Дональд Трамп-младший. При этом соотнеся так, как бы, свои фотографические воспоминания а, с тем, что я посмотрела значит, в статьях с их фотографиями, я могу сказать, что, по всей видимости, молодой человек, который покинул буквально минут через там, 7-10 а, эту встречу, вышел из зала переговорного, был, видимо, господином Кушнером, и он больше не вернулся. А человек, который постоянно э, был в телефоне, сидел, читал, занимался какими-то своими делами, и практически я не понимала, зачем он, в принципе, там присутствует, это был господин Манафорд. Знаете, может быть, у них было желание это увидеть, и они увидели из, э, значит, э, той идеи, о которой я говорила, только-только то, что их, может быть, интересовало. Меня интересовало другое. approached with this idea, he should have turned it over to law enforcement immediately. That's what anybody should have done. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Yeah, that's more Russia, Russia, Russia. I left it in Russian because it sounds about as sane to me as Tim Kaine saying, it's treason. By the time we're done, both sides do it, folks. This is the dumbest shit in the world. The media won't tell you the truth and cover both sides and only Politico will. It's pretty scary, so. It's the uh, 13th of July, year of our Lord, 2017. In today's show, we're going to do TDS, Trump Derangement Syndrome. Why Republicans view college as negative. Doctors admit they don't know how to pick gender, but do it anyway. Politico frets Rubio is tweeting for Proverbs. The GOP part of the Bible, which I didn't know there was a GOP part of the Bible. And somebody requested that I do uh, the story behind the 47% video. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting in the outline of what we're living right now, where, you know, every story about Russia is the smoking gun. Every story about Russia is the end of days. We are hacked by the Russians. Uh, 
Every day, we're hacked by the Russians. The Russians have taken over our world. So uh, we'll do a segment on that new social media nugget. So, um, of course, this by the time I get to this, it's been going so long. I just want to make sure you understand um, that it was a music publicist for some Russian music artist named Goldstone who got the story from his artist, who got it from somebody who knew the lady, and basically it was just an oppo research meeting with the Russians. Um, I, you know, WAPO says Trump Jr. in the middle of Russian collusion. They're saying collusion, but nowhere in there, there's, the lady didn't have any information. New York Times, Trump Jr. was told an email, Russian effort to aid the campaign, but they didn't actually get any information. Head of the Intel Committee was like, we should have reported it. Okay, that's great. Later in the New York Times article, the White House press office, however, accused Mrs. Clinton team of hypocrisy. The official, the office circulated a January 2017 article published in Politico detailing how officials from the Ukrainian government tried to help the Democratic candidate conduct opposition research on Mr. Trump. What? When did that happen? Oh, here it is. Flashback. The time Hillary Clinton campaign colluded with Ukraine. The media world's a buzz of talk of collusion between Trump Jr. and Russia. Reports indicated blah, 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 blah. Whether or not Jr. thought he was doing anything more than opposition research remains to be seen. Still, the damage has been afflicted if opposition research throughout the meeting with foreign governments is of media concern now. Journalists may want to delve into their archives a little deeper. Deeper. For example, back to the time when Hillary Clinton's campaign colluded with Ukraine. Politico reported in January 2017, Donald Trump wasn't the only presidential campaign, campaign whose campaign was boosted by officials of this formal, former Soviet bloc country. Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Russian Trump aid and corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away after the election, and they helped Clinton allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors, a Politico investigation found. Turns out a veteran DNC operative who previously worked in the Clinton White House, Alexander Chulpa, worked with government officials in the Ukraine to dig up oppo on Trump and Paul Manafort. It was actually reported by Hannity. Chuck Tone Company called it fake news. This, of course, was on Politico. The one out of 10,000 negative Trump articles, so I didn't even say it. Another article, Democrats intentionally use disinformation from Russia to attack Trump campaign. While the liberal news media hunts for evidence of Trump-Russia collusion, the public record shows the Democrats have willfully used Moscow disinformation to influence the presidential election against Trump and attack his administration. The disinformation came in the form of a Russian-fed dossier written by former British intelligence agent Christopher Steele, obtained a series of unverified criminal charges against Trump campaign aides, such as coordinating Moscow hacking of the Democratic Party computer. Some Democrats have widely circulated the discredited information. Mr. Steele was paid by the Democratic-funded GPS fusion. We've covered all this. Mr. Steele makes clear that his unproven charges came from almost exclusively from the Kremlin. Another article, Ukrainian government officials try to help Hillary Clinton undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. Same thing from Politico. 
friendly reminder that DNC officers actively worked with Ukrainian government officials to dig up oppo research, Peter J. Hansen. Media and Dems were losing their fucking mind. The cover of HuffPo said, The Smoking Gun! Trump's lawyer went on TV, no illegality. Jay Sokolow, an attorney representing President Trump, tells today there is no illegality. Donald Trump's meeting with a Russian lawyer. There's no statute that even play, is in play. Trump Jr. released his emails, and it sounds bad. It sounds shady, but Hillary did it. So I ask you, why is it so horrible for democracy when Trump Jr. did it, but Hillary did it? The whole dossier came from Ukraine and British intelligence, and it's all foreign. All foreign entities. But it it was okay. Jared Yates Sexton, I worked on this story for a year and just, oh, he tweeted it out. Like so many people out there were trying to track this down and it just got delivered a treat. What the hell? And Stephen Miller summed it up. Sorry, no Pulitzer. The Pulitzer will be reserved for K-Files, tolerance work of threatening an anonymous troll who desecrated CNN's logo with a gif, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Kaylee McClenney, I'm sorry, let's say it right. Kaylee McEnany. I think that's how it is. Little blonde girl that's on CNN all the time. She's a trumpet. Forget Don Jr.'s email. It's Hillary Clinton who colluded with Russia. She linked a bunch of stories. The Hill's covering it now. Bloomberg's covering it now. You won't see it on CNN. Or MSDNC. But Politico, The Hill, New York Times had a short article on it. Article, article. Sorry, I'm just starting. It's early. I'll start speaking English in a while. This is the uh, drunk old man version. Mark Hurtling actually tweeted this, and he's a, politi- a politico. Um, you're a young woman, Kaylee. You still have a future. Get off this train now. It'll be okay. Then he said, yeah, you're right. Harvard must really be searching her files to find out what happened. Does that just not say everything? Like in a nutshell, he even admits Harvard's a liberal, liberal institution. But I think my best takedown of this whole idiocy, which for the record, it's shady as fuck. We shouldn't be working with, with opposing countries during elections. I think that's pretty un-American across the board. I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy and all that the left has that they can do whatever the fuck they want and it's for freedom of pandas. Antarctic ice and aborting babies. But when the conservative does it, it is a fucking end of days. John Gibson, who's up and running on GCN, and I'm a premium member again, say $15 a year this time. It's only 35 bucks. Um, <clears throat> he takes this down. I want you to listen to his little takedown as we go into close the loop. And the most important thing you will hear is the word they rolled out their prayer rugs. Best line of the year. So anyway, the Washington Post going on and on and on and on. And 
you know, there's, I mean, the only rhyme or reason to any of this is that they these newspapers, the New York Times and the Washington Post, are playing a competitive game of of scoop on Donald Trump, and and they want to bring him down. They are, and and they know that their coverage on any given day dictates what the coverage is going to be on CNN, on NBC, on ABC, on CBS. They know that their coverage is essentially going to be the way television lays out the story uh, later in the day, all television except Fox. And so they press it desperately because they, they know that this is this is the story that gets them the clicks, that gets them the revenue. I mean, New York Times is almost going out of business. And all of a sudden, it's boom times. The Washington Post was bought by Jeff Bezos. He went in there and said, you guys are all slugs. You have no idea how to, how to live in this world. We need clicks. You do what cable news does. You get on a big story and everybody on it, swarm that story and have a point of view. And it better be the liberal one because I'm Jeff Bezos and I own Amazon and I'm about to be the richest guy on the planet and I've got all of you hanging by a thread. And so they, the other day there was this, God knows what, what leak it was. Now I can't remember. But the Washington Post was reported uh, to the the newsroom was reported to have been seen high-fiving all around the room and celebrating because the leak that day was a some you know damaging leak to Donald Trump the leak that day got more clicks than the day they released the story on the grab him by the you know whatcha tape Remember the Billy Bush tape where Trump said, you know, I just grab him by the whatcha? And that got more clicks. The story that day got more clicks than the uh, Billy Bush tape, and they were all, woohoo! Woohoo! Jeff Bezos is going to give us all a raise. Jeff Bezos is going to keep us in business when, by the laws of, of, of free enterprise, we should have gone broke a while ago. Now this is um, this this might as well be a uh, a jihad. It might as well just declare it a jihad. It's the uh, New York Times slash Washington Post slash CNN jihad against uh, Donald Trump, his family, his associates, anybody in anybody. So today, Donald Trump Jr. is in the in the in the barrel. Um. A week ago was Jared Kushner. It's always going to be Paul Manafort because he worked for the pro-Russian Ukrainians. Um, it's always going to be President Trump himself. It's always going to be the people in the uh, press operation in the White House, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Sean Spicer. It's always going to be some of them. These people were total lapdogs for eight straight years, uh, just happy to lap up the milk poured out for them uh, by Valerie Jarrett and Josh Ernest and, you know, showing up to um, to conduct their 
their roll out their prayer mats and and bow down to the the uh, the professor professor obama and something woke them up i think that what woke them up was that they were so so desperately wrong about how the election was going and they found themselves at such stark odds with the with with the american public that their only reaction was rage-filled fury just to go totally off on trump and all his people and so here we've 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 arrived at the zenith the highest level of of trump derangement syndrome where we are taking the word of of a music publicist who is taking the word of his pop star client who is taking the word of the pop star client's real estate developer father that the Russian government wants to aid Donald Trump in his bid to be president and has incriminating evidence against Hillary Clinton, which it is willing to turn over when Donald Trump Jr. meets this Russian lawyer. And when he meets the Russian lawyer, she says, I don't have anything. I'm not I'm the one that arrested American. you. Okay. I pay my taxes. Get these shits off my okay. fucking arms. So, so we're not gonna have a conversation. No. Okay. You gonna put these shits off my arms, or you be fucking fucked? You got a president don't give a shit about you, and you stuck in a police force that don't give a fuck about you. So you wanna arrest bl- white people who give a fuck, who ask for cigarettes? I came up to you trying to be nice, you stupid bitch. I came up with you asking for a cigarette, you dumb fuck. Why would I ask for a cigarette if I was racist, you stupid bitch? I was asking for a cigarette, you said no. I said word. And then you arrested me, you dumb fuck. They got cameras everywhere, you dummy. I got more millionaire lawyers than you know what to do with, you stupid bitch. I'm from it, you dummy. Uh, uh, that player rug is just funny as hell. And of course, on the backside of our bumper, that was Sheila Boobs, drunken, outraged, crazy. The dude's just crazy. And for those new to the show, you know, the close of the loop is kind of going back to stories we covered, updates, and more stupid, in which Sheila Boof, he is going La Boof in everything he does. And it's almost sad listening to that guy lose his fucking mind. Mexican illegal immigrant. Yeah, I said it. Not on document. Because this guy's illegal on every level. Who has been removed from the U.S. seven times. Had drunk 12 beers. And was driving 100 miles per hour. 
when he crashed his van and killed the father of three, Namias Garcia Velasco, a legal immigrant, 32. He was in charge of a motor vehicle homicide. Reportedly told officers he had 12 beers for going, getting behind the wheel. Prosecutor said he was going over 100 miles per hour when he lost control of his van. The crash killed Silvante Torres, 58, who was riding in the cargo area of the van. Prosecutor said Garcia Velasco has been removed from the U.S. seven times. The only people that covered it is Omaha. Local news. Sadly, the only newspaper that covered it is British. Because they're getting dialed in on all this illegal immigration and what it's doing to their country. And I thought that was a perfect example of what's fucking wrong with our country. To Bellasio, when Selena Zito says to retweet something, it gets our attention. I cannot retweet this enough. You all want to give me a hand, please. His tweet. Where are the demonstrations for this single mom? Why is there no outrage? And as the mother of three who was assassinated while de Blasio was uh, protecting climate change in Europe. I asked that question. When an African-American gets shot evading the police and pulling a gun on him, we burn cities down, Black Lives Matter. But this police officer was assassinated and it doesn't matter to you. Why? Because they're Uncle Tom's? Is that why? I don't say that to stir shit. That's actually a tweet I read. Uh, she was an Uncle Tom. So it doesn't matter she died. Okay. Liberal writer, Planned Parenthood's idea of freedom beats the NRA. <laughs> I got a Cecil Richard soundbite on the back end that we're going to listen to today. Conservatives' professed devotion to freedom is mostly fake news, believes writer Paul Rosenberg. Liberals and Democrats actually care about freedom substantially more than conservatives and Republicans. This was a Salon article. When it comes down to most basic forms of freedom Americans have long recognized, conservatives may talk a good game, but the talk is largely bullshit. The peg from Rosenberg piece was a set of results from a recent NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll, all three super liberal, and his telling on three key issues. Conservatives play much greater antipathy to freedom than Democrats and liberals do. Conservatives want to place more power in the hands of the state to control the press, to stifle citizens' criticism, and voting. Rosenberg thinks there's nothing surprising about those findings. Conservatives everywhere around the globe tend to share the same tendencies. But with the such basic freedoms enshrined in our First Amendment, American servants have long been forced to express themselves in more circuitous, devious, or deceptive ways. Until the passage of the 14th Amendment, for example, state governments were not limited by such guarantees of freedom. Blah, blah, blah. On the 4th, related matter of freedom of religion, Rosenberg pined the big wins for religious rights, such as Hobby Lobby, have everything to do with political power, having reshaped the courts, and nothing to do with actual meaning of religious liberty. Same court that did Hobby Lobby approve gay marriage, you fucking moron. He alleged the conservative view on this issue actually illustrates a broader pattern of how American servants work around the basic liberal thrust of the Constitution. Okay... Later on, the NRA constantly used language of freedom far more prolifically than Planned Parenthood. You know, careful examination of the underlying history and facts show a much stronger case for Planned Parenthood model reflected, for example, in the qualities of lies used both to promote the NRA and to attack Planned Parenthood. 
That's interesting since they abort 776,000 freaking babies with pills that are illegal under the Hyde Amendment. Okay. Okay. To Bernie Sanders, it is getting hot in here. They do not want to take off their clothes. It is out of control. U.S. investigating Jane Sanders over Burlington College bank loan. The deal involved a $10 million sale of about 33 acres of lakefront property by Roman Catholic Diocese of Burlington to Burlington College, where Ms. Sanders was president, so the college would relocate and expand. To finance the purchase, the college needed to borrow from a bank and obtain additional financing from a diocese, according to David V. Dunn, a Burlington College trustee. A public agency issued a bond, which the bank then bought. The college needed to demonstrate that it had a financial resource to pay the bank, which it did by saying that it would receive $2.6 million in donations, and they would also increase its enrollment, Mr. Dunn said. Neither of those were true. New York Times covered it. <clears throat> um, okay, diocese, finance, purchase of the bank, da 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 public agency bond, da 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 $2.6 million increase, pretty much the same thing. That was 2.5 screens. It's very serious. Like, there are people tweeting, isn't it sad that Bernie Sanders could be the first to go down to the FBI, not Hillary and Trump? Trump Jr. was 10 screens. By that, I'm looking at my monitor on my laptop. I had to scroll through 10 screens to the bottom. This was 2.5 screens. That's all they cover it. That's it. Doesn't matter. Tamor Bellasio, New York Times, or NBC New York, New York City is one of the worst run cities in the nation. According to a new study, here's a look at the bottom 10. But Paris climate's more important. To rhetoric, Free Beacon, Sanders compares GOP healthcare bill to 9-11. Nine times worse than the losses of 9-11 was the actual thing he said. But don't let facts get in the way. More Russia, Russia, Russia. On Monday morning, for example, President celebrated his return from G20 summit by circling back to fired FBI Director James Comey. James Comey leaked classified information to the media. That is so illegal. So what ended up being found out is that everything he sent wasn't marked. Jake Tapper trying to... Protect him, Comey friend. No members given to me were marked classified. Jim Hansen summed it the fuck up because we already went through this. We're going to play the stupid game again. Markets don't mean a thing. If Comey had classified info in the memos, it's a crime. And now John McCain is also in the shit tank, which I have no love for John McCain, not because he's anti-Trump. I'm just sick of him. One day he's a conservative, the next day he's a Democrat. It has nothing to do with political views and has to do he has no sale anymore john mccain faced questions of defamation lawsuit about leaks leading to the publication of now infamous dossier that alleged donald trump campaign in connection to russian operative the dossier blah 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 blah. now two lawsuits one united states a second uk are being brought by lawyers aljeski jugubarov and cypress-based internet entrepreneur steel Steals Russian source, according to Democratic Party leadership. According to a new court document in British lawsuit, counsel for defendants Steele and Orbis repeatedly point to McCain, a Trump critic, and a former State Department official as two in the handful of people known to have had copies of the full documents for circulated among journalists and was bu- published in BuzzFeed. Hmm. 
I will not cry. McCain goes down. Paris Climate Agreement. Aragon. Turkey's pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Good for them. I don't want to kill the planet, but at the same time, we shouldn't pay for everybody else to stop polluting. But this week, because the world is going crazy on Trump hate, Earth's sixth mass extinction event underway scientists warns. I'm not even going to read this. But this is why people don't believe climate change, global warming, global cooling. Every time you turn around, you guys got a new, scary, it's a sixth mass extinction. And during this happening, New York Times, breaking news, a massive chunk of ice broke away from Antarctic. This is a big change. Maps will have to be redrawn. The world was going crazy. Every major news out, every major news outlet was covering this like it was the end of days. But then NASA and other scientists, and surprisingly the only person that did was time, and they didn't put it till the six seconds before the end in a video. An insanely massive iceberg just broke off Antarctica. If you watch the video, this is the only place where it's at. It was a natural event that has been anticipated for months and was not directly caused by climate change. Every major news agency never told the truth. It wasn't climate change. It was natural. So everybody out there who decided to go get their cave ready, it is not the end of days. Linda Sarsour, who just can't stop coming on our show, especially as she calls for jihad on America. ACLU, Muslim American Intersectional, the activism of Linda Sarsour. To those who don't know her, Linda Sarsour might seem out of place in a lobby of public theater. Sarsour, head of Arab America Association New York, waits patiently to enter the theater's concert venue where the folks and blues musician Tashi Reagan is a play. A radical lesbian icon, Reagan boasts an incredibly wide-ranging, diverse following, but Sarsour stands out in a bright-colored hijab, and they re-explain that it's a Muslim headgear. No fucking shit! Anyone familiar with her, though, would not be surprised at all, nor would they surprise tonight's concert. One of the reasons I want to support this organization, Reagan says between songs, donning a Stop Profiling Muslim t-shirt, is this organization is inclusive. I see them reaching out to all kinds of people. On Reagan's invitation, Sarsar takes a stage. It's really bad out there for American Muslims, she says. Then Sarsar bears out Reagan's plot as describing a group as for everyone, grounded in love and compassion and creating a safe place for people who don't feel safe otherwise. Black, communities of color, LGBTQI, cosign of four, immigrants, refugees, people who have seen so much trauma in their life, and they come to spaces that are safe. You're more than welcome to come and hate America just like us. Okay, I... I added that in. This is what solidarity looks like, which is a chant sheet. We show up for each other. They go in and break down how important she is. I am so over people thinking she's okay. This is a huge article. Training camp they have. 
We're going up against the largest police force in the nation. It could be scary, she acknowledged. Nonetheless, after 200 people showed up at a news conference, we asked for her help in ensuring that the communities were represented at that announcement. I, Viva la resistance. An anti-Trumpers. I went to their Twitter site. Nothing on their Twitter page was not anti-Trump. They tweeted, You know, I was thinking of making a donation to you until I saw this. She is divisive. When a freaking anti-Trump person says somebody's divisive, they're divisive. I I just don't understand. There, there are times I just don't understand. People don't look into people. That is like, you know, it's pretty much the liberal way, though. I mean, Bird was a KKK member, and it was okay because he was a liberal. He was on their team. Alec Baldwin can say bitch, fag, queer, and all things. He's been in you know, caught saying, not accused, caught. It's okay, because he's on our team. He's on the same team. So they can do whatever the fuck they want. She's an anti-American Islamist. She's being fucking, her friend was being deported. She should be deported, because I incorrectly said that last podcast. Sorry to take a drink of coffee. Um, come on, people. We're better than that. Left, you're better than hanging out with a person that's an Islamist. You just are. I know, I know times are tough and you hate Trump and you hate America. You even hate it under Obama. But you don't have to hate it like she does. Red on red crime. I was going to pay a Tucker and Peters soundbite, not going to because i got a really long podcast, but I want you to go out and listen to this. Uh, Ralph Peters is on Tucker Carlson. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'll play it. It'll be a long podcast, but I'm going to play this because this is a red-on-red crime. Peters just goes the fuck off on Tucker, and I don't think it was really warranted because I don't think Tucker was saying that, but you want to hear an anti-Russian dude on the right Ralph Peters is that guy. Well, sabotaging U.S. elections and eating children aren't Russia's only foreign policy goals. They're also firmly committed to fighting ISIS, which they're doing. And now it appears possible that Russian forces may have killed the head of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. A Syrian human rights group announced today it has, quote, confirmed information pointing toward the death of Baghdadi. Whether or not it's true, it's interesting. It could be a big victory in the war on terror. So why aren't more in the U.S. more excited about it? And should we be willing to work with Russia against Islamic extremism? Ralph Peters is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel, and he joins us tonight. Colonel, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, glad to speak with you, Tucker. And for the record, yes, maybe your friends take money from foreign governments. I don't, and my friends don't. I hope, I hope they don't. It's appalling how much of that happens. And it it's appalling indeed. how much of our policy is influenced by foreign governments. And you may see that at work now. The Saudis are dead set, of course, against Iran, and they have every reason to be. But I'm hearing a lot of people in Washington, and the Gulf states all feel the same way, a lot of people in Washington say all of a sudden, well, maybe, you know, defeating ISIS isn't such a victory. We've all been focused on defeating the Sunni terror threat embodied by ISIS, and now as we're moving toward achieving that, all of a sudden Iran is the real problem. Why shouldn't we take a moment to celebrate the potential death of Baghdadi? Well, indeed we should. 
Uh, but it's, uh, I would not jump to the conclusion that the Russians killed him. They actually walked back their claim that they'd killed him. And if you look at the timelines, the odds are pretty good that if he's dead, and let's hope he is dead, he was killed by a coalition-backed aircraft. Because the Russians have not been seriously fighting ISIS. The Russians in Syria have been bombing hospitals, clinics, refugee columns, schools. And oh, by the way, uh, they've been bombing the people we've been supporting, the anti-Assad opposition. Whereas we, they've been letting us take care of ISIS. And we've done a good job. Well, I mean, there's, Russians are certainly brutal. And so I have no trouble believing anything that you just said. But you want an alliance with them? I, I don't know why we wouldn't. And, I, and well, it's, it's confusing to me why, when you have a power like Russia, which obviously has interests that diverge from ours, but had some that align here, they've lost a lot of people to Sunni terrorism. Why wouldn't we cheer them on in their effort to stamp it out? Well, certainly we would. Uh, but we can't have a, an anti-terror alliance with terrorists, which is what the Russians are. They're not Islamist terrorists. And they hate the United States of America. Again, bombing hospitals, clinics, schools. But how about you know, murdering dissidents and journalists at home and abroad? You're the best. No, we have nothing in common with the Russians. Why don't More we... or less than we do with the Saudis, our allies Well, the Saudis, the Saudis are, I have no brook for the Saudis whatsoever. Really, because they're our main allies in this. They're right? not my main ally. And you know, I, was, I was warning about the Saudis decades ago. You can read what I wrote about them. And the problem with Iran is that Iran is now, we've alienated just about everybody. We've blown it right and left in the Middle East. And now you've got Iran building an empire that will stretch from western Afghanistan to the Mediterranean. We've been doing a great job fighting ISIS. Uh, we've got the Iraqis, the Kurds especially, moving in the right direction. But when ISIS is defeated, and it will be defeated and crushed, the caliphate essentially is no more. When it is, we will not be welcome, but the Iranians will be. Because we have never had a strategy, we don't have a strategy, and we won't because we play jailbird checkers, and the Iranians and the Russians play checkers. But chips. I'm a little bit confused on a couple fronts. One, we've had over 3,000 Americans killed in this country by about a dozen acts of terror in the last 16 years. None of them committed by Shiites. None of them. Yeah, All looking. of them by Sunni extremists. So we actually don't face any domestic threat from Iran. We That's do face absolutely a, right. a massive threat from Sunni terrorists supported by Saudi Arabia and all these countries we say are our friends. A. B. If we're so afraid of Iran, then why did we kill Saddam Hussein, thereby empowering Iran? Because, because we were stupid. And Iraq... But why are the same people who supported that stupid act, the one you described as stupid, now agitating for a war with Iran? I'm confused. Well, I don't... I, just, I certainly personally don't know anyone who's agitating for a war with Iran. I do. I know a lot of people. Okay, well, you know different people than I do. I know people that think that we have to eventually stand up to the Iranians, thanks to President Obama's outright cowardice and the shameful uh, treatment of our sailors, for which John Kerry thanked the Iranians yes. when they were captured. But, you know, the Middle East is, is a very, very complex world. And we refused to think clearly about it and honestly about it, just as you pointed out. Uh, no Americans have been killed on, in the United States by Shia terrorists, yes. Sunni terrorists. And yet, uh, our president just went to Saudi Arabia and praised the Saudis to the skies. Our president seemed determined to, to do any deal he can with the Russians. And the Russians hate, Vladimir Putin hates us. He is malevolent. And you, he, he is as close to pure evil as I can find. He's also brilliant. And so I don't understand why any American would want an alliance with Russia, we should be strengthening our alliances with democracies. Instead of trashing NATO, we should be building it up much more strongly. Uh, why, why attack Australia? Why attack Canada? For God's sake, I think, I it's think about Western fair civilization. Point. It's just hard to see why, and I'm not vouching for Putin's character, which he seems like a shady guy, a strong man for sure, wouldn't want to live there. He's a killer. 
hard to see why he's a threat to us. And, and how many wars can we fight at once? How many people can, can we be in opposition to at once? Why not just accept that people who are bad people share our interests and side with them? You sound like Charles Lindbergh in 1938 saying, Hitler hasn't attacked us. I beg your pardon? Slow down. Hey, slow down, Colonel. Oh. I, I'm not in well, any you, way. You cannot compare me to someone who would make apologies for Hitler. And I don't think Putin is well, comparable make, to Hitler. I think Putin is. Look, I think it's Putin, a grotesque overstatement. Putin actually. is, well, I think I think Putin, it's insane. Putin, fine. You can think it's insane all you want. You just compared me to a Nazi apologist because I asked a simple question, which is, well, slow down. No, which no. is, no, why does he contravene American interests in a common Vladimir cause with a group Putin that's trying to kill ISIS? invaded his neighbors, broken the long peace in Europe. He assassinates dissidents and journalists. He bombs women and children on purpose in Syria. He is as bad as Hitler. And I'm sorry, if you, know, if you don't like the Charles Lindbergh thing, I will retract that. But let's just say you sound like someone in the 1938 saying, what's Hitler done to us? Putin is I would the hate to go Hitler. back. I would hate to go back and read your columns assuring America that taking out Saddam Hussein will make the region calmer, more peaceful, and America safer. When, in fact, it has done exactly the opposite, and it has empowered Russia and Iran, the two countries you say you fear most. Let's just be totally honest here. Yeah. We don't always know the outcomes. Right. They're not entirely predictable. And so maybe we should lower the moral tone a little bit. Okay, well, we'll pop, Rather than calling people accommodationists and say we're not exactly well, sure tough. what's going to happen. We can only make you, good decisions you made, day by day. You made your career being an American conservative patriot. And now you're suddenly cheering for Vladimir Putin? I'm not in any sense cheering for Vladimir Putin. Well, you and it's not accommodating. It's not, it's not. I'm cheering for America as always. Our interests good. ought to come first. And to the extent that making temporary alliances with other countries serve our interests, I'm in favor of that. Making sweeping moral claims, grotesque ones, comparing people to Hitler, advances the ball not one inch. Vladimir actually. Putin it us is to reality. He hates America. He wants to hurt us. And I'm sorry. All this, suddenly Vladimir Putin's a good guy. Russia's okay. No, it's not. Russia is so evil. So what's your Russia moral test? So some, okay, so we cannot in any way do business or make common cause with a country whose leader is, quote, evil, who is, quote, a bad person. That takes most of the world off the table. Most countries are run by really bad people. You are That's talking not the about, question. You're not talking about dealing with them. You're talking about an alliance, an anti-terror alliance. Come on, that's talking very, very about, different. about, first step, cheering on any attacks made by Russia against our mortal enemy, our real enemy, ISIS. Why not just say, that's great, I don't like Putin. I'm not living in Russia. I'm not taking money from the guy, but like a good deed is a good deed no matter who commits it. Why don't so, you just say that? Putin isn't killing ISIS primarily. He's attacking the anti-Assad people while letting us fight ISIS. And are you convinced? And do you speak Arabic, by the way? No, I don't. Oh, you don't? Okay, so. How's your Russian? It's non-existent. Okay. And I would never claim to be a Russia expert. But well, I'm not sitting here talking about groups about whom I know very little, and I bet you're well, in that yes, category, in Syria and saying they're freedom fighters, they're serving the interest of freedom or democracy or American interests. When, in fact, a lot of these groups, we know very little about them. And some of them are truly bad people who don't have our interest in heart. And we're not backing the truly bad people. And how about Assad? Well, how do we know that? Is Assad a good guy? Do you think I don't know. I mean, if we align, if ask we the Christians align, and Jews if, who lived in Syria. If we align, <laughs> we protect If we align with Russia, we are uh -huh. aligning with Iran. We are aligning with Assad. And that's bad because that's bad for American interests. Because why? Do you think Iran is good for American interests? I think Iran's a bad country, and in a lot of ways, against American American interests. But within the context of Syria, Assad was much better for America than the people I believe you hope to replace them. The with. Kurds. How about the Kurds? So the Kurds are going to run Syria? No. Now we're in fantasy land. No, they're going to have an independent state. You're going to break up Syria into lots of little countries. Well, I'm not like, going to break it up. It's okay, going but that, to break that's it up the because, because it works so well in Iraq? 
Yeah. Well, it hasn't broken up yet. And the problem with Iraq was in 2003, when we had the chance, we didn't break it up. We didn't break it up. Last question. Would you, knowing what you know now, and I, and I hate to revisit this, but since you brought it up, knowing what you know now, that the deposing Saddam, his subsequent death, empowered Iran dramatically, and in fact, we explicitly helped Iran gain traction in Iraq, do you think that was a wise idea? And do you think there are any lessons going forward in Syria that maybe when you take out a secular leader, the vacuum is filled by even worse people? Well, I think there's a, that's a, that is a valid point you can make. Yes, it often is. happens. But in 2003, we did a great thing inexcusably badly. Um, I'm a Rumsfeld killing the MP brigades. There are a lot of reasons for it. We believed, we believed any, any Iraqi emigre who spoke English with an Oxford accent and wore a well-tailored suit um, I mean, again, our intentions were great, but if I had it to do over again, no, I would not get rid of Saddam Hussein because we hadn't thought it through. Uh, my mistake. And, but you're confident that we've thought through what comes after Assad, who's run the country for decades, pretty peacefully, actually? I think killing half a million of, of your own people probably doesn't mean you should re remain in charge. Now, what At, well, after the civil war. I'm not making apologies for Bashar al-Assad. I mean, well, like, that happened like after. I'm it not. sounds like you're sitting here and making apologies for See, him. So because I'm asking rational questions about what's best for America, I'm a friend to strong men and dictators. You know, that is a conversation stopper, no, not a not beginning a, this, of a rational this is, conversation. No, this is not My a, only point is that when Syria was run by Assad, 10% of the population was Christian, and they lived in relative peace, considering they lived that, in the middle of Levant. That is absolutely true, and it's also yeah. true. And so what's happened father, to those people now? His father killed 30,000 or more people. Well, what's happened? Now, let's be fair. I mean, Barack Obama certainly blew it right, left, and center. Uh, through sheer trepidation, cowardice, the inability to ever make a decision. But we are where we are, with half a million, Syri or perhaps more by now, Syrians dead. Primarily killed by the Assad regime, the Iranians, Hezbollah, and now uh, the, the, the Russians. And yet you want us to align with the Russians, with Iran, with Assad. I want us to act in America's interest and stop making so shallow, sweeping moral claims about countries we don't fully understand and then hope everything will be fine in the end. Because but, I just saw that happen and it didn't that, work. You're doing that with I Russia. I am not doing it now. Yeah, with Russia, you I'm merely doing. saying that if a country we don't like takes active steps to kill people who are a threat to us, I'm going to pause and applaud. I'm not going to stand back and compare their leader to Hitler because it makes me feel yeah, virtuous. That's but, what but, I'm saying. But, but the, the, the fault in your logic is that Assad, the Iranians, the Russians, are killing the anti-Assad forces. I'm sure, I'm we sure. But you haven't explained why I, as an American, should be terrified by Iran or Assad. And I think American leaders should act in the interest of their own country primarily. That's the I number one job they have, see, and they're not doing the it. Subject. You, you couldn't answer me on Putin, so you changed the subject to Assad. I want to know why you think Vladimir Putin's okay. I want to I don't think he's okay. I what, think it's great that he's asking, fighting ISIS. ISIS is a threat to us, and we're being told. I'm you sorry. Want, you want a terror, an anti-terror alliance with Russia. What does Russia tangibly bring to the table? Um, bombs that kill ISIS. That's my view. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We have gone long. <laughs> Colonel Peters, thank you for joining us. This is a spirited conversation. You know, I, I am not a Russian guy. I, I, I think Russia is our enemy. I think they've been our enemy since 2012. But something I missed on the last show, I didn't say, and really is apropos after listening to a soundbite like that. Do you remember under the uh, Obama administration where they wanted to be friends with Iran, our real enemy? I mean, we're talking, if there's an enemy that has attacked us, I know it's going to hurt your ears, resistance, but um, hacking the election, which just didn't happen, um, 
passing out facts about the DNC and doing an information campaign, not a misinformation, an information campaign, is shady and it is messing within our election and it's bad. But Iran has killed our soldiers. Finance terrorism. They're really our enemy. Obama administration did deals with them. I remember them always saying the following phrase. What is wrong with talking with our enemies? We need to have dialogue. That is the purpose of diplomacy. But now, Trump saying, it's a pleasure meeting you, or an honor meeting you, and just doing a formal greeting, that's horrible when Obama bowed to people. Which, you know, just under Bush administration, the Saudi king and princes were the enemy. He bowed to them. You guys are fine with it. So, you know, once again, I, I, I don't understand starting a dialogue and trying to get Russia to back the fuck off somehow. Why is that bad when you said it's bad? Because Russia hasn't killed us. They passed some people hacked some shit in there. Once again, only four intelligence agencies say they tampered, but it never been linked to the Kremlin. You have no fucking proof of any of this shit. Iran is the enemy, but you guys say it's okay then. I, I just once again, you guys are fucking hypocrites. <laughs> of the day. Lena Dunham is auctioning off a dress she cried in by Hillary Clinton lost the election. Proceeds, of course, will go to the abortion machine, Planned Parenthood. There's plenty of mockery and disgust, but Ben Shapiro pretty much summed it up. This is the second most famous dress stained by leftist juices ever. It could be yours for just a few abortions. <laughs> Chris Light had another one that was pretty good. Joe at NBC just announced during Colbert Late Show taping that he's leaving the GOP. He's now an independent. Watch tonight. Oh, really, Joe? When were you not an independent left-leaning person the moment you put your penis in Mika? I just want to know, because that's when I stopped watching the show. When you left your wife for Mika. Okay. But our tweet of the day is USA Today. This, there was protests and everything. Uh, Chick-fil-A had a free chicken thing. And there was, like in Tennessee, there was a cow killing. They had somebody dress up like cows and like murder cows for PETA. They got shoot out before the police showed up. It ruined the whole thing. Scared the shit out of kids because they had real knives. And it scared the shit out of kids. Because you're all just fucking losers. But anyway. Somebody decided to start a hashtag. Hashtag 
Cow Appreciation Day. And the winner of that, under the subheading, Stop It, You're Scaring the Kids, is a picture of Lee Dunham in a bathing suit. Yeah, it's not objectifying women. And and for the record, I am a fat, middle-aged man. I would never wear Speedos on a beach with no shirt. Nobody wants to see that. And it goes back to what you guys all say on the left, that we're supposed to think about our brother and be nice to people, and what would Jesus do, but Jesus didn't exist. She's a fat cow. She should be wearing a two-piece bikini ever. Ever. Trick Nasheed in her hate tweets. Does the new Planet of the Ape poster have radically coded, racially coded messages? Notice the BLM symbol. Notice the ape with the blue vest. Blue ski vest aficionado DeRay McKesson noticed and was appalled. Given the history of rendering black people as apes, I'm offended and appalled by the lack of conscience in Hollywood. And associating black people with apes, active work is being done to perpetuate the dehumanization of black people in mass media. Really? A poster of Planet of the Apes is racist. That now trumps milks racist. Mike and Michael I, Ian Black, the Trump team's definition of Western values is diametrically opposed to what we normally think we would think of that term. We mean freedom of press. They mean press intimidation. We mean religious freedom. They mean evangelical Christianity. We mean diversity. They mean homogeny, white cultural identity. We mean interconnected planet. They mean nationalism. We mean scientific method for fuck's sake. They mean belief over evidence. You mean dogma. You're your own religion, lefties. That's a football player. And here's a daily reminder that making fun of people's looks is totally fine when liberals do it. Today's lesson comes courtesy of illustrious Bette Medler, who posted a very bad picture of the Trump boys. Words fail me. You are a pig. Tom Perez, voter data collection. He doesn't want people of color to vote. And Dems take the vote of minorities, especially for granted. Change your platform, sir, a black person tweeted. Enough about what he doesn't want. What does the DNC want? Should we be encouraging states to conduct regular threat assessments of voting? Another one. And yet the DNC is still unable to find an effective way to win. Stop with Sanders and focus on supporting real Democrats. And I think that's pretty apropos. Without a hypocrisy of the day bumper, I'm going to start our hypocrisy section. And if you notice, I'm trying to shorten it for Fridays. This whole section, I'm trying to shorten it down. It's usually like a fucking hour, but I, I, I omitted a lot of hate and a lot of good tweets today to get to the meat and potatoes. This is Jimmy Kimmel. I'm going to play this skit he did, and I want you to understand... It is a puppet of Kellyanne Conway. It reeks of hypocrisy. I want to get to the bottom of 
bit. She doesn't normally do this sort of thing, but tonight we are very fortunate to have Kellyanne Conway live via satellite, hopefully to clear this all up. For, hello, Kelly. Hello, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. It's, so let's cut right to it. Why did Donald Trump Jr. and the highest level campaign staff have a meeting with a Russian in the first place? Okay, first of all, define meeting. When you say meeting, what are you talking about? I, it's meeting. Uh, when people meet, they get together and they have a meeting. What's a meeting? A meeting is when people gather and talk. I don't know. It's a meeting. It's just a meeting. Jimmy, do you eat meat? Yeah. Is that a meeting? All right, so the lawyer admits she told them that Listen, she... Listen, we should be focusing on Hillary Clinton and the she-mails that she's been hiding. Uh, well, no, no, that's not what I'm asking you about. I'm asking you about the meeting. What specifically were they hoping to hear at this meeting? What's a meeting, Jimmy? I, I, don't, I don't... You know what? Thank you very much, Kellyanne. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That puppet was made to be super ugly, and I once again just want to tell you, I would bet you money, my last segment, so I'm not being hypocritical, my last segment about Lena Dunham, if I were to do a show on TV and show a picture of her and refer to a cow, the internet would go crazy, other media members would say I'm a sexist fucking pig, to, you know, body shaming women, but it's okay on the left, uniformly, to say, like that reporter said on CNN, our producer, that she looks like she got hit with a shovel. It's okay to say Kellyanne Conway is ugly. It, they have no problem with it. Because they're hypocrites. Brian Steltzer. At Dan Rather asks, which side of history will you be on? We're not fake news, Mr. President. Now a word from Dan Rather was a tweet. Your lack of self-awareness is delightful. The godfather of fake news. Were the three tweets to that. But remember, it's reliable sources. It's neither reliable or a source. Washington Post, opinion. Kill Fox and friends before it's too late. That was actually a tweet. By the other paper record. So it's okay to kill people now? Let, let me see. If I say kill morning joy, how far you think that's going to go? Racist, sexist, bad rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. Every senator, no matter the party, should step up and fight for the millions of babies like Peter who can't speak for themselves. So you're saying that babies should not be murdered by Planned Parenthood? That's step in a right direction. That was actual tweet from a lady who schools the Senate on the need for abortions. Okay. John Legazamo, the media is not leftist or liberal. They report facts. Facts can't pick a side. They're objective. Don't be another immoral backbone R. Somebody tweeted, the echo chamber is strong with you. Keep tweeting your lightning people. I tweeted to him, I love your acting. I do like that guy, but you need to stick out of politics. Because our media has never been about facts. Ever. Even before the fake news. You had a liberal bent or a conservative bent. That's our media. 
It's corporatist media. It's all about the clicks. Every day I do a podcast. Mostly what I'm doing is the objective of what the media wanted. When I play the media mash, all those people want to get on TV, make a name for themselves, and say something outlandish. I doubt half of them believe it, except for the race baiters. They believe it. ESPN, Michelle Obama will host posthumously honor Special Olympics founder Eunice Shriver Kennedy at the ESPYs. Somebody said, could be a little awkward though, you know, given who Michelle Obama's husband is. This is good since her husband made that super awkward joke about it. I hope she tells the adorable story how her husband had to apologize for Special Olympic comment. Funny how the media didn't bring that out. I remember it. April D. Ryan. The Trump administration has 133 nominees waiting for a vote, and we learned a new word in the briefing. Stagflation. Somebody said, where the hell have you been? I hit dictionary.com. Stagflation. Persistent high inflation combined with high underemployment and stagnant demand in a country's economy. It is a word. Wasn't used correctly, but it's a word. And that's your media. They didn't even know. For super hypocrisy, FEC commission now going after right-wing media over Russian collusion. FEC is looking to target right-wing media outlets under the guise that they could have helped Russia interfere in our presidential election. Washington Examiner Paul Beddard reported Tuesday the commission will decide on this Thursday meeting whether or not to investigate websites like Drudge, Breibart, and others on the right for violating election spending rules by allowing advertising on their Facebook pages by Russian entities. The call for an investigation was spearheaded by Ellen L. Weintraub, a Dem appointee who was a Hillary supporter. So you're going to go after the left-leaning ones that help the Ukraine? Huh? Wow. What the fuck, FEC? See, this is the problem. Only one side gets investigated. What about the other side? What about the collusion not to report facts under Benghazi, IRS, GSA, Fast and Furious? To our media mash. All of this for a reason. CBS bemoans Snowflake. Oh, this is a good one. MSDNZ's Joan Walsh said Ivanka's dress Made her look like property. For fuck's sake, folks. That is... uh, Let anybody else say that. Wow. CNN. Trump working with Japan now. Basically, they're saying since after 9-11, his use of these people is Japan. Yeah. Can all women are... uh, CNN, all women are against Trump. All of them. Matthews, rural states... Mocking over Russia, because they don't believe the Russia shit. And Roland Racebader Martin, GOP are the segregationists. Enjoy. Even though it's the middle of summer, there's an awful lot of talk about snowflakes. This is the it insult that's caused a blizzard on the political landscape. If you somehow haven't heard it, here's a taste. These protesters are typical snowflake millennials. Now he's President Snowflake. Okay, 
everything he said. Oh, they're mean to me and they don't like If you want to know how the president is doing in his first hundred days, don't ask a snowflake. The dig in its current use stems from the 90s book and movie Fight Club, in which the narrator informs his listeners, You are not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. Some started calling today's youth Generation Snowflake, bemoaning their perceived hypersensitivity. And then Snowflake became a word weapon to express a broad kind of anti-intellectualism aimed at campuses and communities where cultural sensitivity is a must. Cut to the 2016 election when Snowflake emerges as the knee-jerk conservative jibe to shut down political opponents, especially during debates around tolerance. More recently, some liberals have taken up the snowball fight by calling out the current president for being a thin-skinned, self-perceived victim. His ego is so fragile. He's such a snowflake. Now seems a good time to melt this trend by saying, I'm a snowflake, and so are you. Your children are snowflakes, and so are mine. And those who protest the loudest about not being snowflakes, I can see your six-fold ice crystals from here. Because every person, empirically, is unique and special and flawed. And we are all, at times, fragile. Snowflakery is simply being human, which makes it a pretty flaky insult. Look, a bunch of snowflakes creates a storm, a white blanket that covers things so you can't get to what's underneath. So to those on the right and the left, enough with snowflake. It's not a cool insult. Also, it's a little muddy about not taking a salary uh, while having the status of being a federal employee, yet not having to be held to different ethical standards. Uh, right. Also saying that she doesn't want to be involved in politics. She's sitting in for it. her father at the G20. Right, with uh, big bows on her sleeve. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound sexist. It can be dangerous to comment on what women wear. But the, the fact that she sat in for her father in a dress that was so incredibly ornamental was such a contradiction uh, in terms. And I think that what we see is that in patriarchal authoritarian societies, daughters have great value. They are property. Uh, and the message that, that she is sending about her own value, about her place in the White House, uh, and about the place of women in this administration, I think are really pretty frightening. Well, Poppy, this is just bizarre. I mean, the Russians have never cooperated in intelligence with the United States. I've worked with them. Uh, they sort of, you know, they play around with it, promise things, but they never come up with anything. And clearly, the country that attacked us in the 2016 elections, you can't go into business with them. It's, it is truly like, you know, working with the Japanese after Pearl Harbor to, you know, defend Hawaii, the air defense. It's just nutty. And he had to pull it. I mean... Well, certainly feminists are not happy with President Trump, both for his behavior and for his policies and some of the proposals that he's put forth but he has uniquely galvanized american women to come out in force in a way that no president has before him so it started with the women's march the day after the inauguration where millions of women not only in the united states but around the world protested President Trump. There were about half a million in Washington, which was the largest location, but there were hundreds of thousands in other large cities 
all around the world and in small cities. Mm -hmm. And it's continued since then. Women went home and they started to organize. Women who never were involved in politics or political action before joined huddles, which are local community organizations where they can take action, put their ideas together, contact their legislators, and try to get some things done. And, and those marches were bigger than even the organizers had expected. I, I don't think Ted Cruz is wrong, though, in this case, in the sense of there is a lot of apathy about this. I'm talking to a lot of senators and congressmen doing town hall meetings. And I've asked them, what are you hearing about Russia? They said nothing. They want to know about health care. That was true of Watergate they for months. That. Yeah, it's true of Watergate for People months. don't see how this affects their life right now. Yeah, I they know. Really well, that, you know how it might affect who the president is? Right. Right. Look, look, I, there's, I think there's clear evidence, textbook evidence for collusion. But not only that, the collusion actually led to obstruction of justice possibly, right? Because, no, but that's what the president Can did. He fired, he fired. No, no here's finished. the thing. Here's the thing. If this was Hillary Clinton, Clinton, we would already be going through impeachment, impeachment. Uh, but if it was collusion, it was the worst collusion in right, history. Right, because right, right. what did it they was, use? Okay, was, John, I want to ask no. you something. You say the people out in the country aren't focusing on this. I understand it's still a lot of attitude against the establishment. But if this were Chelsea and Hillary involved yep, in this, that's you don't exactly think that right. that crowd out there in Ted Cruz country and Utah, South Dakota, and those other countries represented there in Wyoming, you don't think they'd be going crazy and lighting bonfires at Absolutely. the federal buildings? That's a different Absolutely. question. Well, that's not a different question. No, 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 yeah. no it's oh, the right. same thing. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. You actually prove my point. It's a political issue. This time it's the left. No. Other times it's the right. Would be levitated. We would be livid. Right yeah, their hair would be on fire. I love it. Would be their line yeah. all week. <laughs> so screaming from the mountain top. You guys would be screaming from the mountain top. Most secretaries of state, most politicians, and you have said to me that the problem in this country with voting is too little of it, not too much of it. We don't actually have a problem with a whole lot of dead people voting. Or, or people voting in multiple states. Um, best I can come up with is a handful of examples, uh, you know, per election. Uh, what is this about? Oh, this is about pure politics. Russia is not the greatest threat to democracy in America. It is the Republican Party. I got lots of friends who are Republicans, lots of folks who are Democrats. I don't align with any party. But when you look at what Republicans are doing, not just with this commission, but what they have done over the last 10 years, it is clear voter suppression. This is a part of Republican strategy. Colin Powell called out the North Carolina governor a couple of years ago on this very issue. I have challenged black Republicans on my show to do it. And I'll give you this here. There was a guy named, uh, his last name was Smith, of segregations in Virginia. He wouldn't even have a committee hearing, Allie, uh, during civil rights movement. Bob Goodlatte, a Virginia congressman, won't have a single hearing on the issue of voter integrity yeah. in the House because he doesn't want to address yeah. it. It's a, it, is, it, it really is... I'd like to hit every one of those, but we don't have enough time for me to melt down over every horrible comment in there. I'll just hit the race baiter from NPR, Jim Crow stories, the bottom paragraph on that page. The South remained a one-party region until the Civil Rights Movement began in the 1960s. Northern Democrats, most of my prejudice attitudes towards black, offer no challenges to the discriminatory policies of Southern Democrats. I want to make sure the facts remain out there. 
One of the consequences of Democratic victories in the South was that many Southern congressmen and senators were almost automatically re-elected every election. Due to the importance of seniority in the U.S. Congress, Southerners were able to control most of the committees of both houses of Congress and kill any civil rights legislation. Even though Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a Democrat and relatively liberal president during the 30s and 40s, he rarely challenged the powerful entrenchment in the Southern bloc. When the House passed a federal anti-lynching bill several times in the 1930s, Southern senators filibustered it. Remember, Democrats formed the KKK. Don't be brainwashed. Samantha B's producer, no liberal bias. Yeah, she said that. I'm not even going to read the article. I, I, this whole article is how butt-fucking blind the left is. They are not biased, huh? Not at all. But they sum up. That's a producer. That is what is wrong with the media. They believe that they are... We're just reporting the facts. And the facts are GOP are horrible and we need to abort over a million doggone babies. So send your donations to Planned Parenthood. Stats of the day with this crazy Trump Jr. stuff and zero coverage on Hillary's Ukrainian stuff. The shocking revelation dominated the evening news coverage of the big three. Of the total time spent on news minus commercials, the email commanded 54% of the total coverage of the three networks. Combined, the networks aired 57 minutes, 18 seconds worth of news. From that, they spent 31 minutes and 10 seconds talking about Don Jr.'s emails. It has to hurt them that it's a nothing burger. But what does that say? When it is a nothing burger, they know it's a nothing burger, yet they still cover it over and over and over and over. What does it say? NRA, a Texas federal judge, throws out effort by UT professors to overturn campus carry. So, 2A rights went out on that one, which is good, because I think open carry should be allowed everywhere, because where there's open carry, there is less crime. And our big one is Seattle City Council approves income tax on the rich, but quick legal challenges likely. The measure applies a 2.25% tax on total income above 250000 for individuals and above 500000 for couples. The Seattle City Council unanimously approved an income tax on wealthy residents Monday, a move widely expected to draw a quick legal challenge. Blah, blah, blah. It repeats the percentage they're going to do. Seattle should not serve everyone, not just risk. Seattle should serve everyone, not just rich folks. 
Software developer Carissa Kipe told the council before the 9-0 vote, saying she makes more than 170000 per year. I would love to be taxed, the 24-year-old Ballard testified, drawing applause from a room packed with supporters. The city estimates the tax would raise $140 million a year, $10 million to $13 million set up, plus $5 million, $6 million per year to maintain and enforce. So it's basically going to eat itself. The council's finance committee cleared the tax last week, increased the rate, from 2 to 2.25. Opponents have argued the tax violates state law and state constitution, while proponents have said it would make Seattle's tax structure more fair and that they want to test the legality of taxing income. Neither Washington nor any city in the state now collects an income tax. That's partly why the state's tax system have been called the most regressive in the country, meaning people with less money pay as much greater percentage of what they have. In a statement, Mayor Ed Murray said Seattle is challenging the state's antiquated and unsubstantiated tax structure by passing a progressive tax. Washington State Republican Party Chair Susan Hutchinson urged Seattle residents to forcefully resist the tax by refusing to pay. Under the legislation sponsored by council members, all female African Americans, voting 5-3, to the council approved an amendment by council member M. Lauren Gonzalez to possibly reduce Seattle's business license tax in some way. The recent push for an income tax began in February when nonprofits and labor unions calling themselves the Trump-proof Seattle Coalition launched a campaign. Coalition said the revenue offend, offset threatened cuts by President Donald Trump's administration and held town hall meetings. So basically they're going to punish people for making money because they can't get their federal grants to be political, even though they're not supposed to be political. In 2015, Washington households with incomes below 21 paid 16.8% of their income in state and local taxes on average, while households with income above 500 paid only 2.4, according to the organization. Not an unbiased organization, this libtard organization. And I put it in the stats of the day because that's coming to a town to you. It is what I like to call Sharia law. It's liberal dogma law. They're going to punish people for making money because now all these little groups can't get their claws on money anymore. With the Republican administration, we don't give money to the left leg, amputee, gay, transgender, African American, Latino, people of color, organization and they're upset about it so they get into the city halls and they pass crazy taxes like this folks $170,000 in Seattle is about like making 60000 everywhere else it's not making that much money so maybe that one lady wants to be taxed but the moment she starts getting heavily taxed you watch her start bitching it's just like the Clooney's they want free immigration for the world everybody should be able to go wherever the fuck they want and then they move their family back to America because it's unsafe. Point of the article. Get involved, folks. Pay attention to what's going on in your community. Because if you don't pay attention, sooner or later, some liberal's going to fuck you. To a music break in segment one. Oh, this podcast is just going to make me angry.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. The guy who has three oil paintings of himself in his bathroom wants to cut the National Endowment for the Arts. We got McMaster. We got McMaster. <laughs> We're even teaming up with McDonald's to release a new burger in his honor called the McMaster. Mr. Trump, your presidency, I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. And a new study confirms that. It finds that the president is the butt of more late-night jokes in his first 100 days than the last three presidents in their entire first year in office. Wow. Here with his reaction is the co-host of the Blunt Truth podcast, Chuck Woolery. So, Chuck, those numbers are staggering. It's 1,000 in the first 100 days versus 900, 500, and 400 in the first year. Uh, I mean, can the, can the derangement go any farther? No, well, yes, it could. Uh, and by the way, it's blunt force truth that I'm the moderator on. Or the, it's my podcast. But, you know, the thing of it is, is, it's such hate and fear involved with this presidency for some reason. Had I said about Barack Obama on television what Stephen Colbert said about Trump, I would have been running a bingo game at a moose lodge outside of El Segundo. I mean, it would just... Good gig. I would pay a price for that. And the reason these guys don't pay a price for it, number one, they have no conscience, so they have no regrets. And the other is there's absolutely no, no pushback on them yeah. at all. They don't mm -hmm. have to pay any kind of price. Well, meanwhile, celebrities are, Other than uh, that. are suffering right now under President Trump. I mean, they're really hurting. And, crippling, uh, actually. Crippling, really. And Chrissy Teigen, who's the, the wife of John Legend, tweeted this the other day. She said, today I had a tooth shaved down because of crippling anxiety. Makes me grind and rock my teeth on the one side. I blame Trump. And she said, I also had Botox in my jaw muscles to relieve tension from constantly clen uh, clenching. I w it was not like this yeah. before. Pay my bill, President. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, Cher's got, uh, uh, she's got asthma, too, and, and she's not getting that paid for, and I feel sorry for her. But here's the deal. I brought a little whiteboard with me this morning to kind of help you with this. You see over here on the left in, in California, it's concentrated in Beverly Hills, places like that, UCLA, Berkeley, uh, college campuses. And then it comes over here. This is, by the way, a Fox Bulletin. I don't know whether you know this or not. Oh. This is breaking news. Okay. This is Chicago, where I think uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, TDS is breaking out every place. Starts here in Chicago. They've what's, obviously what's stopped for fuel, and then it moves right over to New York and all up and down the East Coast. You have TDS, and the CDC hasn't really so warned anybody. I personally think TDS should be put into the new health care bill this is by the Senate. I, they owe it to the American people, and they certainly owe it to Hollywood. No, I, we appreciate Trump you derangement syndrome. A very scientific. How did you? I mean, how did you break down that scientific analysis? Because I think it's spot on of the Trump derangement syndrome. Well, you don't have to break it down. It's broken down for you every day on television, Twitter, uh, every movie, every every advertisement. I mean, it's 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 just rampant. It's amazing how it's it's spreading everywhere. It's a virus that uh, it's suggested that people should go to their nearest insane asylum and and try so to get this right. How do you know if you're suffering there. from that disease? Yeah, what well, symptoms? How do you know you're suffering from that disease when all reality escapes you? <laughs> When double standards when you have are no your possibility standard. of any reality in your life. I'm sorry? Grinding of teeth as well, maybe. Uh, loss of sleep, sad dreams, snowflakes. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. The left is really operating on hate and fear, and that's where all this is coming from, all these college campuses. Uh, fear of people speaking their minds. You can't, have a, you can't have a conflicting opinion with anything on the left. And so the way they fight back with it is to just make themselves miserable, which, you know, if that's what you want to do and live your life like that, that's fine. But I wouldn't fall into the trap if I were these people of being so hateful and so fearful. Uh, number one, he, he's been in office, what, 90 days or 100 days? What's he done to hurt anybody at this point? Yeah. Well, Nothing. are suffering. And, in uh, fact, <laughs> are, <laughs> I've got to, it's 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 just beyond reason. Yep. It's yeah. it's not logical, Jim. It's uh, I it's, know none of your name, Jim. The, the, I was just doing Spock. Hey, there yeah. doing a little Star Trek. The Blunt Force <laughs> Truth podcast. Also, uh, maybe a bingo night at your local Moose Lodge potentially. It's a good uh, bingo night at the Moose Lodge outside of El Segundo. That's that's right. where I'll be. Trump derangement syndrome is a real condition, and I thought about doing a skit, but I I couldn't with my work. But I wanted to do a drug commercial because it, there needs to be a drug for for these people. Because Representative Brad Sherman introduced articles of impeachment, and only one other representative, I believe, it was from California, um, approved it. They didn't have any grounds; they just did it. So Brent Bozell and Jeffrey Lord wrote an article, and I, I think it's pretty apropos, the media's Trump derangement syndrome, because that's where it starts. This clickbait, this constant Russia, 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 everything's a smoking gun and nothing's a smoking gun, is making people lose their goddamn mind. The liberal media doesn't like the president. For the matter, some of the conservative media don't like the president either. Yes, the means are friends of National Review and Weekly Standard. There's plenty of room for honest disagreement, but it's all too obvious that the Trump candidacy and now the Trump presidency has produced what can only be called as TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, among Trump critics both in and out of the media. As noted here previously, Time Magazine devoted its Person of the Year cover in 2008-16 to the new president-elect. Obama was handsomely and heroically portrayed. How about Donald Trump? He was seen scowling at the camera and labeled the president of the divided states of America. No Trump-phobia here. You just can't make it up. This TDS appears everywhere in the media. Perhaps the most vivid example from the past week was the reaction of Vox writer to the president's speech in Poland. The Trump speech was extremely well received across the board as a defense of Western and West values, a speech comparable to Ronald Reagan's famous 1982 speech to the British Parliament in Westminster, in which Reagan spoke of values of freedom and democracy. Yet Vox, foaming with a particularly rabid case of TDS, headlined the Trump speech this way, Trump's speech in Poland sounded like an alt-right manifesto for family, for freedom, for country, and for God. Over on Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, the Vox story was understandably cause for jaw-dropping. The Daily Wire noted the example of TDS this way. The subtle redefinition of terms is best suits their immediate agenda in one of the less favorite tactics. That redefinition has clearly happened with already too vaguely defined alt-right. According to the leftist political opinion site Vox, alt-right now apparently applies to those who express a dedication to family, freedom, and country, and believe Western values and cultures are actually worth defending. Here's the part of Trump's Poland speech Vox says sounds like an alt-right manifesto. 
This morning in Warsaw, Poland, President Donald Trump issued a battle cry for family, for freedom, for God and country. In a speech that often resorted to rhetorical conceits typically used by European and American alt-right, it sounded at times not just like the populist of the present, but the populist of the past. Drafted by Stephen Miller, the architect of the travel ban, Trump's speech used a type of dire last-chance wording often utilized by the far right on both sides of the Atlantic. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our value to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to present our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? The Daily Wire points out the obvious here. So yes, having confidence in our values and being willing to defend them at any cost now puts you in danger being included among the far right. You read that right. So far gone is Vox with TDS syndrome that a president of the United States stands up for family, freedom, and country, and God is now seen as something akin to a Nazi. And speaking of Nazis and TDS, over at WAPO, one of my favorite left-wing sparring partners, Eric Wimple, spent an entire column talking, t- at, talking after me on the matter of the Trump CNN wrestling video. I had said, and note, well, what I said it on CNN Air without a whiff of censorship and First Amendment-friendly CNN, that the idea that the video could result in violence against journalists could easily be reversed, as in, does giving airtime to all those Democrats saying GOP health care plan will kill thousands of Americans serving as incitement to attack Republicans, as it happened, by the way, said Wemple, there's no logic whatsoever in Lord's argument. Was he really trying to cite a fake hypothetical argument on a nexus between the health care debate and the shooting of Republican Steve Scalise in June at a baseball practice? We may never know. Well, Eric, here's your answer. James Hodgkin was, in fact, we now know, thanks to reporting and among other places, the Washington Post, highly critical of President Trump and the Republican leadership. In fact, your paper reported that Hodgkins left a trail of political rants against Republicans and super-rich, and he adopted a photo of former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders' Facebook cover image. There's nothing fake news about this. His local GOP congressman is quoting as saying that every issue that we were working on, he was not in support of. One of those issues, much in the news, was health care. So clearly there was, in fact, a nexus between the health care debate and the shooting of Scalise. The Post specifically reports this. Hodgkinson posted regularly on Facebook as often as three or four times a week, typically linking to a cartoon or article that was critical of the Republicans. In January 15, he linked a cartoon about Steve Scalise, one of the people he shot Wednesday, writing the headline, here's a Republican that should lose his job, but they gave him a raise. And there was in the shooter's mind a nexus between health care and a whole lot of other issues in his violent attack could not be plainer. In fact, Eric, it was your paper that ran a piece comparing Trump to Adolf Hitler. To use your logic, what could be more provocative or violent toward the president and Republicans in general than to suggest the president of the United States is a copy of arguably the most evil leader in all the world? What's also plain, as I noted, is that James Hodgkinson and James Hodgkinson alone bears responsibility for Scalise's shooting, not CNN, WAPO, New York Times, Bernie Sanders, etc. Hodgkinson had a severe case of TDS, but his actions were his responsibility and his alone. I stand accused by Wimple of sycophancy. 
This without irony from a colonist who paid by a liberal newspaper to defend liberalism at every term, which is what the Post itself does every day of the year and Eric Wemple does with mind-numbing routine. It is always interesting that my friend Kaylee McKinney and I get attacked by for being Trump sycophants by people used using their own standards are themselves liberal sycophants. Never, for example, are my liberal CNN commentator colleagues attacked for staunch defense of Clinton, Obama, Sanders, Pelosi, whoever in the liberal figure in the news of the moment. It doesn't happen. All of which says one thing and one thing only. Wimple's ire at my presence is just one more example of liberal media figure with TDS. But he's certainly not alone. Over on New York Magazine, Eric Levitz said of my presence on CNN, the network literally pays Trump associate Lewinowski and Lord to lie to its audience on the president's behalf. This is flatly untrue. I emailed Levin to please tell me what lies I was telling, particularly no response. That would be, of course, because I am not in the business of telling lies on CNN or anywhere else. Corey left CNN months ago, like countless others on television and a printer on internet. I am in the business of opinion journalism. And Mr. Levin's and any number of lefties like Eric Wemple foam with TDS when anyone defends the president with their opinions. And as evidenced by Levin, some of these lefty critics make it their business to lie about my telling lies. Have I ever disagreed with the president? Aside from my disagreeing on the subject of changing libel laws, none other than Eric Wemple has noted he called it a miracle that in fact I have disagreed with the president. Maybe Wemple should read Wemple. The bottom line here, the liberal media and others, hello Maxine Waters, are suffering from TDS. Some suffer more acutely than others. The Vox example is particularly telling as it illustrates a leftist outlet that is willing to throw over the side the very value that allows Vox to exist in the first place, freedom. As I said many times, both on air and in print, I am a First Amendment fundamentalist. I want everybody, Vox, Wemple, Post, New York Magazine, CNN, Fox, MSDNC, and everyone else with access to print or television, radio or internet, to have the most essential freedom of all, the right to free speech, the right to speak their mind. That also includes some 300 million plus always opinionated Americans, including, of course, the President of the United States. To prove the point, Washington Examiner. There appears to be no end to left's vitriol against President Trump. After his inauguration, massive and sometimes violent anti-Trump protests have broken out across the country. The mainstream media hyperventilates over his every statement and action with reporters spouting opinions as fact and one supposedly objective TV anchor literally rolling his eyes as Trump's surrogates. In the latest bout of hysteria, Democrats and liberals are obsessed gleefully over the dim prospect of Trump's impeachment. While Trump is prone to deliver high drama with his management styles and personalities, the hatred he inspires comes with a whole lot of derangement and hypocrisy. It also traces roots to the politically correctness and intellectual intolerance with which American society and higher education are saturated. Here is what I saw as a deputy director of pro-Trump Super PAC during 2016. I regularly defended then-candidate Trump in writing, television, and controversial comments and positions. These included his proposal to restrict immigration, terror-prone countries, his argument with Gold Star family, his alleged sexist and racist remarks, his calls for border walls, disagreements with the GOP establishment, and much, much more. As I result, as a result, I received an endless stream of hate mail, one stranger sent the following, you sure write from by resting in Trump's smelly rear. I have never read such bogus BS. It's better if you just fuck off, asshole, ugly cunt. 
My public discussion about the candidate almost always deteriorated into all-out brawls. Each time there were people, often women, screaming, shouting, and interrupting. The same people usually complained that Trump's candidacy spelled the death of civility in America. Clearly, many Trump haters found it far more gratifying to rage against him and his supporters than analyze the substance of his positions. For instance, Trump executive orders restricting travel from terror-prone countries should be no surprise to anyone who was paying attention. I wrote in June, and she covers the whole thing about not being Muslims. As I predicted, once Trump executive order were issued, his opponents from members of Congress to pundits have expressed shock and condemned the order as a Muslim ban. Of course, the left likes to beat into submission anyone with dissenting views. Nowhere is it more effective at doing so than campuses. A few months before the election, I attended a discussion at the Washington Center of my alma mater, Cornell University. The speaker, a columnist for a major regional newspaper, offered an infomercial for Hillary Clinton to a room full of alumni and students. The university-sponsored campaign 2016 series in which he participated featured not a single pro-Trump speaker. Like most other elite university across the country, Cornell is no stranger to political bias. Right before last year's election, a survey revealed 11 out of 19 departments of Cornell, including government and philosophy, had zero Republican professors. This kind of bias has real consequences. One Cornell student who is a Trump supporter wrote to me, I keep my thoughts to myself since everyone else would just miss my opinion. Like Cornell, major universities across the country like ideological diversity and regularly insulate political bias against right-leaning ideas. By systemically silencing and marginalizing opposing views, these universities have been at the forefront of waging lunacy against the Trump phenomenon and anything else deemed politically incorrect. They make a habit of labeling non-leftist views as racist, sexist, xenophobic, yada, yada, yada. Indeed, institutions of higher learning are some of the biggest purveyors of intellectual intolerance. Young people reared in such an environment seek safe spaces from opposing opinions, denounce Trump, sometimes violently, and hate those who hold pro-Trump views. It is no surprise that universities have been gripped with the most reprehensible bouts of anti-Trump violence since the election. She breaks down UC Berkeley, which has been very quiet for a while. So when a commentator is foaming at the mouth condemning the Trump administration on CNN, just remember that he would do well to reflect more on his intellectual and political biases. Remember also that all those sophisticated anti-Trump voters with college or advanced degrees like firstly learn to hate those with whom they disagree on the very university campus they have failed to teach critical thinking and intellectual tolerance. As the political fight in Washington rage on... Anyone who cares about having an honest political dialogue should remember that sustainable reform of the nation's politics is unlikely to come for a true reform of universities and societies as a whole. And I think that article pretty much sums up TDS. You know, I remember when... Obama was president. There were people with Obama derangement syndrome. But not to this level. And it took to term two before we got to Obama derangement syndrome. I don't think I had Obama derangement syndrome. I was just sick of hearing him talk. He just talked and talked and talked and talked. 
And it didn't really get anywhere. It was just the same words. And those words always said, if you don't agree with me, you're an American. You're an ist. You're an obe. You're something. And to be honest, I just got tired of hearing that. And so I shut my TV off. But we are now seven months into a presidency. And it now is 2000, let's just say 2005 with Bush. Five years into Bush. The hate and vitriol for President Trump. If you notice, I don't defend Trump on here. The only thing I've defended is the travel ban, because I agree with it. But you don't hear me defending. I'm not a Trump person. I just think it's ridiculous to be this bad six months in. You're six months in, you know, full six months of a presidency. And and you've lost your goddamn mind. And it's just ridiculous. Because he hasn't had a chance to do anything. The media has stayed on Russia. Nothing's proven. We're still talking. It's a year plus now. We have gone 13 months on Russia. There's no proof of anything. It's all a fucking lie. We have people actually doing articles of impeachment for nothing. We have Donald Trump Jr. having a meeting with somebody because he was looking for oppositional research with a foreign government. And it turns into adoption meeting. Yet Hillary Clinton... And the Ukraine, and there's a Russian dossier that John McCain got his hands on. But nobody cares about that. Nobody cares. Because from ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSDNC, PBS, New York Times, WAPO, LA Times, CL Times, Boston Globe, they hate him. They hate him so much Everything we have is the end of days. Yet clearly, with all the riots, the Women's March, PPFA, what has been done? What has changed since November 8th, 2016? What? The Paris Climate Accord and a travel ban. Oh, and transgender bathrooms, which the majority of Americans were for. Sorry, libs. That's why it's hard for me as a person to get on the bandwagon with all you fucking wahoos. It's not grounded in intellectual honesty. I mean, Chuck Toad might sit there and blow his whistle and talk about an unwritten Washington conduct and how we're all supposed to be acting. And yeah, he, he doesn't act like a president, but neither did Obama. Obama didn't act like a president. He sang. He dropped the G when he talked to African Americans. He, uh, he freaking got involved in every police action in the world that was always wrong. He was cool and went on the two ferns. And that didn't belittle office. I don't know what does. But you look intellectually dishonest. Just because you disliked the guy. Just because you lost an election. Just because you believed in your heart of hearts the only person that could have been present was a lady who lied for her entire life and had a toilet server illegally. 
So the derangement syndrome is getting worse. And what it really worries me the most is that if the media stays the way it is, Hollywood stays the way it is, colleges stay the way it is, everything in popular culture stays the way it is, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook stays the way it is, Donald Trump is going to die. Somebody's going to shoot him. It's just a matter of time. Because if Hodgkinson can get so amped up, he goes after some baseball dudes, and he's a totally sane person that's involved in a campaign and protests, no mental illness, eventually somebody's going to do it. And for the left, anybody that heard that in San Jose or San Francisco or Oregon, you might have smiled a little bit because you want him to go away. But what is it going to do to our country when we have political assassinations brought on by the rhetoric of the Democratic Party and the mainstream media? The mainstream media... The political arm of the DNC, the communication department for Tom Perez, who I guess is leading the party because you guys don't have a leader right now, is going to get somebody killed. The violence we've already proven on the show for people against anybody who voted for Trump. I mean, I lost a daughter over it. Makes half the country not even speak. You know, the amazing thing is I don't see a lot of Trump stickers because we're all taking them off our goddamn cars. Well, I didn't have one on my car, but my wife had one on hers and she took it off. People are scared. They're not scared of Trump and his policies. They're not scared of the police. They're scared of you, left. I pack a gun every day because I have an NRA sticker. That's next. And even though Patrick believes it's the best thing and you're going to win, don't fuck with the bear. And I think an assassination of a president is going to fuck with the bear. Because I cannot tell you how many people have said the following phrase, I hope Black Lives Matters comes in protests here. I hope Antifa comes to protest here. I hope somebody tries to shoot a senator in Tennessee. People are done being told they're wrong for not believing your religion, the religion of liberalism. They're just done. Which leads us to our next article and segment. Why Republicans view college so negatively. It's a short article. It's surmised by this soundbite. White supremacist and a vice president that is uh, one of the most anti-gay uh, humans in this uh, country. And so we are in for uh, a difficult time. But again, I do believe that we can get past that. Our nation is divided. We have been assaulted. It's an act of terrorism. One of the most frightening things for me and most people in my life is that the people committing the assault are among us. 
It is not some stranger from some other country coming in and attacking our sense of what it means to be an American and the things that we stand for. And that makes it more painful because I'm sure that all of us have people in our families and our circle of friends that are part of that movement and it is very difficult. We are way beyond Republicans and Democrats and we're really back to um, being a civil war. And I don't mean it in a fighting way, but our nation is divided as clearly as it was in civil war times. And my hope is that we will get some good leadership to help us to overcome that. Um, I will go over some coping skills, but before I do that, I do want you to know that the optimism in me, uh, first of all, we are the majority. More of us voted to not have that kind of uh, um, leadership, and we didn't win because of the way our electoral college is set up, but we are the majority, and that's helping me to feel better. I believe that we live in California. It is one of the best states. I have loved that. I love living here. But I'm especially proud of our legislature who did put out um, uh, a message. I hope you see it. One of the things I'm doing to cope is to look for positive messages and glimmers of hope. That's an optimist in me. And uh, California uh, legislative leaders did put up... I found this article. Here's why so many Republicans view America's colleges and universities negatively. Many of them have seen or experienced the detrimental results of campus protest, a growing PC culture, and catastrophic student debt. Gracie Homestead wrote this, and it's really good. 55% of the electorate still believe colleges and universities are having a positive impact on our country. A majority of Republicans, 58%, now believe the opposite. According to a new poll from Pew Research, the findings polled from polling conducted among 2,504 adults suggest a considerable chasm in the perception of higher education between Republicans and Democrats. More than 70% of Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents reported a favorable, favorable view of American colleges. These findings on Republican opinion are remarkable in part because of the drastic, dramatic shift they reflect Just two years ago, the GOP 54% believed that higher education was having a positive impact. Only 37% rate the country's educational institutions negatively. Last year, those numbers shifted to 43 positive, 45 negative, respectfully, and now the bottom fell out. The quick collapse in Republican trust is causing a lot of people to look twice at this poll. Why have attitudes shifted so much? Controversial approaches to speech have grown the heading. The simple answer to this question could stem from recent events at universities of Middlebury College or Naval Academy. Students and staff protesters have in many of these instances refused to listen to speakers they disagree with, sometimes turning violent in the process. In some of these examples, professors have lost their jobs or been mistreated in some fashion for touting unpopular ideas. Conservative-leaning voters don't just get angry at these events because they like Charles Murley or Jim Webb. They may not be familiar with the work or political opinions. Rather, they're frustrated with a campus culture that squashes free speech, open discussion, and public discourse. They're impatient when the intolerant tolerance that demands only specific ideas and thoughts be expressed openly and all others be rejected. What's more, they sense a growing liberal bias and complements the progressive to the detriment or complete exclusion of the conservatives. Take Butler. 
Trumpism and U.S. democracy is a class. Which one might assume to include readings from classic Democrat thinkers like Alex D. Tocqueville, Sociological and Political Studies by the likes of Christopher Lash, or commentary from modern writers like J.D. Vance. Instead, the Professor Ann Savage original course description promises to offer students an opportunity to discuss and possibly engage in strategies for resistance. Sexism, white supremacy, xenophobia, nativism, and imperialism of Trump. Many parents were in uproar over the political reactions such as courses would promote. We don't pay you thousands of dollars to teach our children to act out when things don't go their way, one mom posted on Butler's Facebook page. They also don't like the PC culture on campuses. Vitrolic reactions to unpopular ideas or speech, as well as the inherent bias in courses like the above, aren't the only things getting Republicans riled up about higher education, however. The debate over safe spaces, trigger warnings, political correctness has risen to a head over the past couple years as professors and students seek to cater to the wishes of their classroom, sometimes to the detriment of real learning or even real belonging. William Deserwich documents some of the tangible results of such a culture over at the American Scholar, drawn from his experience teaching a course at the Women's College in California. I had one student from a Chinese-American family who informed me that the first thing she learned when she got to college was to keep quiet about her Christian faith and her non-feminist views about marriage. I had another student, a self-described strong feminist, who told me that she tends to keep quiet about everything, but she never knows when she might say something that you're not supposed to. I had a third student, a junior, who wrote about a friend whom she had known since the beginning of college and who, she just discovered, went to church every Sunday. My students hadn't even been aware that her friend was religious. When she asked her why she had concealed this essential fact about herself, her friend said, because I don't feel comfortable being out as a religious person here. I also heard that the director of the writing center, a specialist in disability studies, was informing people that they couldn't use expressions like, that's a crazy idea, because they stigmatized the mentally ill. I heard a young woman tell me that she had been criticized by a fellow student for wearing moccasins, an act she was informed was cultural appropriation. I heard an adjutant instructor describe how a routine pedagogical conflict over something he and his said in his class had turned when the student in question claimed to have felt triggered into his words, a bureaucratic dumpster fire. He was careful now, he added, to avoid any, saying anything or teaching anything that might conceivably lead to trouble. I listened to students, young women again, who consider themselves strong feminists, talk about how they were afraid to speak freely among their peers and how despite its notoriety as a platform for cyberbullying, they were grateful for Yik Yak, the social media app, because it allowed them to say anonymously what they couldn't say in their own name. Above all, I heard my students tell me that while they generally identified with the sentiment and norms that travel under the name of political correctness, they thought that it had simply gone too far. Everybody felt oppressed, as they put it, by the PC police. Everybody, that is, except for those whom everybody else regarded as members of the police force. So this is how I come to understand the situation, he writes, in conclusion. Selective private colleges have become religious schools. The religion in question is not Methodism or Catholicism, but an extreme version of the belief system of the liberal elite. 
the liberal professional managerial and creative classes which provide a large majority of students enrolled at such places and an even larger majority of faculty and administrators who work at them to attend those institutions it is to be socialized and not infrequently indoctrinated into that religion this has deeply influenced Republican perceptions of higher education and will continue to do so as long as these trends continue unchecked. Many conservatives want their youth to be challenged, stretched, and nurtured intellectually. They don't want them to be attacked for their principles or submerged in a culture that only allows one mode of thought or politics. Anti-elitism suggests a Republican distrust of higher education. It is also true that current Republican attitude toward higher education could be influenced by widespread populism and corresponding anti-elitism of the moment. Donald Trump's election suggests a dissatisfaction with the actions and processes of the insider and expert class. The coastal elites, who at least per widespread public perception, run the show and Trump's drain the swamp. Of course, not all Republicans believe Trump's promises. Many were and are dissatisfied with the results of the 2016 election. But even among those who dislike Trump, I've seen a widespread defensiveness of the small-town voter, blue-collar worker amongst the GOP voters in 2016. Many of these voters dislike the snobbish disdain they often sense from progressives, elites, towards the common folk. Student loan debt suggests colleges have fallen short. All this affects widespread perceptions of higher education, but it also must be noted that on a more practical and less ideological level, a lot of Republicans can find cause to criticize American colleges and universities. Many of them have saddled young people with staggering student loans without offering them a secure future or source of income. There are college education individuals working at Starbucks, local groceries, hardly able to make rent payments, let alone pay off the college debt. There are a lot of reasons to feel displeasure with the state of American academia, but I don't think that necessitates deserting the academic institutions that can bring essential good to American young and old. We didn't desert classic liberal arts degree for practical vocational education, although a shift towards more skill-oriented offering would probably be good for a lot of Americans. We need to understand the implications of the academic systems that have broken in many ways, and we should try to fix its problems by determining ways to lessen the burden of student loans without necessarily offering free college, and by equipping students to navigate the difficulties of adulthood, not just by helping them cultivate practices, life, practical life skills, but also by helping them confront and engage with difficult ideas and concepts that may be controversial. Students must learn to confront the other in a way that's thoughtful, engaging, and emphatic. Without that ability, college students will find higher education and hamper their future success more than it helps them, and Republicans will likely continue to rate the country's educational system poorly in years to come. Folks, my son is a libertarian. He left college because of it. Austin P. liberal school, he got sick of turning in papers that wasn't what he believed. It was what the professor believed. And I personally look at our colleges as the problem for where we're going as a country. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Everybody has to worry about what they say. Everything is incorrect and it's changing all the time. 
to the 58 forms of gender that a bunch of fucking freaks came up with and now use as a cudgel against against the, the rest of the world and are allowed to by liberal politicians in cities near you. It's horrible. It doesn't prepare people for life. It doesn't prepare them to go out and be adults. And it's ever-changing. I've talked to African-Americans who said it's gone too far. Everything's gone too far. In the age of Obama, all we taught our kids is how to protest. We protest protesting. Is that what college is supposed to teach them? And with an economy that's horrible thanks to Obama and his $8.50 average job growth since 2007 with the intrusion of Obamacare that made everybody do that. Seriously, folks, what is the purpose of college anymore? It was supposed to be higher education, but the only education they get is exactly what this article said, the religion of liberalism. To another pet rock, transgenderism. I thought of putting a cheeky little bumper in the front of this, but this is a serious subject, and this is by Walt Hare again. <clears throat> Doctors admit they don't know which kids should gender transition, but do it anyway. Anyone playing this selected gender game with children is complicit in turning youth psyches against themselves and truth of who they are. A 13-year-old 7th grade committed suicide just before Memorial Day holiday weekend. When the Alabama youth was halfway through 6th grade, she publicly identified as a boy, Jay, with the support of family and school. In addition to gender identity struggles, Jay's mother said Jay battled depression and anxiety. We were under the care of a psychologist from day one, she says, in an interview with AL.com. The LBGTQ cosign a 4-plus lobby tell parents they must support and affirm their children's transgender journey to prevent the child from attempting suicide. As this tragic case demonstrates, however, it's an open question whether supporting a child's gender switch adds stress rather than reducing it. In this case, the parents fully affirmed and supported her gender transition, yet tragically depression led to suicide. Children are encouraged, affirmed, assisted in coming out as transgender without one word about the consequences of the dangerous game of gender make-believe. Today, the political correct response expected from adults, especially parents, is to affirm the child and the desired gender. But affirmation gives young people false hope that they can really become a different gender. It's a lie. A lie told, told with compassionate motives, but a lie nonetheless. Lying is not compassion. For a vulnerable young person, pursuing a dream that is physically impossible to achieve can lead to depression, and depression is leading causes of attempted suicide. The prevalence of suicide attempts amongst transgender or gender non-confirming youth is 45%, according to a 2014 report from the Williams Institute, University of California, Los Angeles, and the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. It's a startling statistic. Many parents choose to tell you young children that pretend characters such as the Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus are real. As the children grow up, the parents tell them the truth and everyone stops pretending. Today, the Tooth Fairy is replaced by selected gender, a fantasy where all are expected to play along. Doctors and parents tell daughters they can become sons and sons they can become daughters. But as I found out myself, changing genders is a high-stake game of make-believe. To make the pretend gender appear real, I had to enlist doctors to describe 
prescribe cross-gender hormones, and perform cosmetic surgery. Dr. Dr. Frankenstein would be proud. It's important to tell people the truth and stop pretending. First of all, we need to stop pretending that doctors have scientific backing for the recommendation for children with gender dysphoria. The truth is, no one can predict whether a gender deformed child will feel the same way years later. Kristen Olsa, a research psychologist at the University of Washington, puts it this way. We just don't have definitive data one way or the other. That's why children Olson is leading a study of 300 trans children that will out- track the outcome over 20 years <laughs> to be able to hopefully answer which children should or should not transition, she said. In other words, we simply don't know right now. Yet parents and children are hurt in one direction as if, as if we do. Some young people desire to identify as the opposite sex to escape pain or traumatic event or perceived abandonment loss. They subconsciously want to dissociate from who they are and become someone else. Gender change promises a fresh start, free from the past, like many psychological coping mechanisms. However, gender changes provide only a temporary re- reprieve. Some teens or preteens today want to identify as the other gender for social reasons or to become the center of attention. Younger children can simply be curious, curious about the opposite gender. This doesn't mean adults should encourage experimentation. If you want to go deeper and learn about people who live the transgender life, get the just-released documentary, Transformed. It explores the journey of 50 individuals who eventually walked out of the transgender life. Transform provides transgender people a voice to share in their own words with authenticity and emotion, how they came to the decision to change gender and how and why they changed back. It's powerful. Be sure to check out the trailer and watch the movie. The film made the point clearly. People who identify as opposite sex have deep emotional pain and need to true compassion. For 12 years now, people have contradicted me after visiting my website, sexchangeregret.com, to tell me about their dissatisfaction with their gender change and their desire to transition back to their birth gender. Lately, the frequency is rising, and I find a great sense of urgency to warn anyone contemplating a gender change to tread carefully. For instance, a male-to-female teacher emailed me with a heart-wrenching story of regret. This person, first-person account illustrates that a person could be absolutely convinced the gender transition is the right thing to do and afterwards appear to be successfully living life, but with all that, still is not happy with the gender change. I underwent surgery 10 years ago. I was convinced it was the right thing to do. Regrettably, it was not. The price I paid was dear. I hurt the ones I loved the most, my children, my siblings, my parents, and my partner. By all appearances, I'm a success story. I have a good job as a high school teacher. I have had a fairly active love life. But none of this can ever make up for the pain and guilt I feel every day of my life. Believe it or not, I've gone to therapists and several surgeons with little success. I just get told it's a normal part of adjustment phase, an awfully long adjustment phase. They say, you make a nice woman, be happy. But I'm not happy. I'm wondering, do you know of any surgeons who will remove my breast implants? I really like to start living as a man again. People write me or are stuck in the transgender no man's land, like the lyrics in the song Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you could never leave. Therapists and surgeons gladly help people <clears throat> proceed 
Sorry, I had a page freeze. With the pretend gender transition, but resources are mysteriously absent for finding the way back to reality. The people who contact me are desperate to undo the changes but face roadblocks and disagreement. Another male-to-female teacher wrote to me recently, so fearful of writing it, an email about a regret the teacher wouldn't say much except to ask for a phone call and hope the NSA won't listen. This teacher wrote... I'm a teacher of a grade school children. I had surgery 12 years ago. Can we talk sometimes? If not, I completely understand. It looks like you are a busy public figure doing amazing work. It's just that as a public school teacher, I have to be really careful what I say online. If not, thank you for the, for your time here and best. We did talk on the phone for nearly an hour. We talked about family, children, the possibility of transitioning back to male and keeping the same teaching job. This teacher was an unblemished 20-year record, is gripped with fear over that the school board could do if she changed back to his birth gender of male after 12 years living as female. Those who fight for the rights of people to find their authentic self and assist gender dysphoric people in changing genders are the most vocal, vicious critics of the same gender dysphoric people who tried transitioning and found it didn't work. Finding one's authentic self is evidently a one-way trip. The same equality and protective laws and indeed the same compassion, attitude, and legal assistance that advocates lavish on people who want to abandon their birth gender should apply to those who are disillusioned with their gender pretending. But it doesn't. For those who look on from afar and see the explosion of young people playing the game of selected gender, remember, 45% of them will attempt suicide. Why? Because this emerging group of young gender changers are suffering from emotional, psychological, or social identity discomfort far deeper than new pronouns can rectify. Doctors admit they don't know which children remain gender dysphoric into adulthood, yet they condone gender identity change so socially and medically for youth. This is a child abuse. I can tell you that from my own life. It's child abuse to tell a child he or she can select a gender. It's a false hope. Such a suggestion is factually a lie, not a lie with the innocent of pretending the tooth fairy exists, but a lie with a lifelong destructive ramification. The effect of gender make-believe is the destruction of core identity. It plants the notion inside the minds of young people that the essence of who they are is wrong. They're not someone to be loved or embraced, but eradicated. Affirming someone as the opposite gender reinforces the deep discomfort already undermining in his or her identity. Overwhelmed by the weight of these messages cloaked as affirmation and a lack of attention to the real issue driving their desire to switch gender appearances, 45% attempt suicide. Anyone playing this selected gender game with children is complicit in turning young psyches against themselves and the factual truth of who they really are. It is this time to stop all this gender-changing madness. When the doctors themselves admit they cannot tell who the real long-term gender dysphoric children are, and affirm children like Jay die needlessly. Understand, as I've stated over and over on this show, I could give a shit what adults do. This kid stuff is scary. The, the, the suicide something to do with being treated improperly. They have a medical problem. Parents are sterilizing them, and they're looking for something. And as this site, sexchangeregret.com, Alexis Arquette, Chelsea, drag queen Chelsea, now going back, Brigus Young, a swap, sex swap patient, shows emotional upheaval. He documents all these people going back to what they were. And as I've stressed on the show, hey, you're an adult, do what you want. But you don't do this with kids. 
especially the age of six or five. And as I argued with that trans pro lady and talked about in the last podcast, they only read what GLAD feeds them. GLAD stocks studies with nothing but pro-GLAD people and they don't tell the truth. Harvard, Sweden, I've quoted so many, so many surveys on here, actual scientific ones that prove 80% go back. 80% go back. So here is the, the trailer for Transformed with a Z. And we'll go into our last segment about the other thing the left mantra has. While they're pushing sex changes all the time, they're also pushing Christianity is wrong. I used to go to X-rated bookstores all the time, and I saw this one magazine, and it said uh, Transformation. The top half, they have the boobs and the, and the penis on the bottom, and uh, you know, and I thought, oh, this is cool, this is different. I would go to these places where my dad lived. He would have full-on sex with me, and he would say things to me that made me feel like I was a woman. It would be better to be a boy. People are recognizing that I'm already cute as a boy, so I might as well be that. And being a woman isn't really a great option. In 45 minutes, he looked at me and he says, you've you've got gender dysphoria. What you need to do is undergo gender reassignment surgery, take hormones. This is a, a lie that is being promoted by an incredible industry that's making a lot of money on these poor people. I really wanted to have a sex change because I felt it would complete me. Well, the best part is I got all dolled up. I felt like a girl and I actually could put on the makeup and do the hair and wear women's clothes. By the time I was 42 years old, I had sat down with my wife and said, here's what's been happening. Uh, We need to divorce and I need to change genders. She threw her head up and she looked at me and she opened her legs and she said, this is all woman. Male genitalia was there. I couldn't believe that this was true. And I knew that it was possible. By the time I was 18, I began competing in professional pageantry. And by the age of 19, I was competing at the Miss Gay Texas pageant. So I took the hormones. Um, of course, right away, uh, I started filling out muscularly. I started getting acne and started to grow a beard. I saved up my money, went to Thailand, halfway across the world, got surgery. I had breast implants. I was living my life as a woman. That's when I was introduced to the black market of plastic surgeon. I woke up from the from the operation and I got these big boobs and the, the vagina and the whole thing. Tubes hanging out here and there and it's like, wow, what have I done? It's not about being feminine, it's about being holy. Understand, that's not from some right-wing blog. That's actually a gentleman who did the transition transmission back. So facts sometimes get in the way of what we like to push as agendas. Here's another one. Politico frets Rubio is tweeting Proverbs, the GOP Bible. Yeah, this is true. Rubio committed a new sin in the eyes of liberal media. The Florida Center has apparently been tweeting from the most Republican part of the Bible. The website blasted Rubio on Sunday with the headline, Marco Rubio is tweeting the most Republican part of the Bible. Each day the Florida Senator is quoting a verse from Proverbs, the GOP's favorite part of the book. 
While many Americans may be familiar with the Old and New Testament, Politico apparently thinks there are Republican and Democrat section. Marco Rubio has message for his early, nearly 3 million Twitter followers on Monday as dogs returned their vomit so fools repeat their folly. Proverbs 26.11 That one might have been the most head-snapping, but Rubio, the Republican Senator of Florida, has been tweeting verses like this since May 16th. He has tweeted a biblical verse almost every day since then, almost all of them from Old Testament, specifically Proverbs. Proverbs are notably in that it presents a fairly consistent view of the world. The righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished. And the understanding of Proverbs everybody gets when it's coming to them, behavior is directly linked to reward or punishment. This worldview has social consequences. Those who succeed in life must be more righteous than those who struggle. Writer Joe Bainan continued, some of the statements of Proverbs look strikingly similar to those made by modern-day conservative policymakers. Of course, if Politico wasn't trying to twist the Bible to fit an ideology, Baden would have knowledge that Proverbs also contains instructions such as this. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Those who close their eyes receive many curses. Or Proverbs 28.3, a roller who oppresses the poor is likely a driving rain that leaves no crops. Not exactly, exactly cold-hearted capitalism. Bainan cites Proverbs 22.4 as an example, Republicans' leaning nature. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor of life. In reality, there are verses in Proverbs that should be convicting to all, liberals or conservatives, Republican or Democrat. But of course, a liberal outlet like Politico sees everything through a partisan lens. Then there was this story. Praying for the president. Evangelical pastors share image of prayer circle laying hands on Donald Trump in the Oval Office. President Trump hosted a prayer circle in the Oval Office on Monday. Televangelist Pastor Rodney Howard Brown shared images on Facebook. It shows people laying their hands on the president on his back as he prays. Mr. Howard Brown called the moment surreal and humbling. Johnny Moore, who was also at the meeting, said Trump was in good spirits. He was as strong and focused as I've ever seen him. It was as if he was entirely above the fray, Moore said. In the end, this was deemed inappropriate by the media. Understand, Bill Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, Jimmy Carter, Lyndon Bean Johnson all had religious consultants. And finally, before we go into the 47% video, understand the following liberals. You may not like Christianity, but most Bible study groups tell you to read a proverb and a psalm a day per the calendar day. I used to do that. It's not conservative. It's not liberal. It's Christian. I don't understand why you hate those that don't believe in what you believe, but that seems to be your shtick. There are 47% of the people who vote for the president no matter what. There are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe the government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and, and the president starts off with 48, 49, 43. He starts off with a huge number. These are people who pay no income tax. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes, 
doesn't connect. And he'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every, every four years. And, uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never think they said. They should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the 5 to 10% in the center that are independents, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other, depending upon, in some cases, emotion, whether they like the guy or not. Okay, a user, a listener, a user, <laughs> a listener <clears throat> wanted me to cover this. This is an interesting article. It's from December 31st, 2012. The story behind the 47% video, it took months to get the scoop that rocked the 2012 election. If we remember the 2012 election, there was nothing about Benghazi, there was nothing about the IRS, there was nothing about anything but this video, which played over and over and over in vain capital. Early on in the election season, Mother Jones made a decision to look closely at Mitt Romney's record as a businessman, a record the campaign was promoting as a key reason why he should vote for him. As I dug into the history of Bain Capital, the private equity firm Romney and founded and managed, and this is David Korn, I found out about an investment and had made in SteriCycle, a medical waste disposal firm that in most recent years have been attacked by anti-abortion groups for disposing of aborted fetuses for family planning clinics. I obtained an electronic pile of documents related to the deal, including filings Bain had made with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Romney was listed as an active participant in the SteriCycle investment, which occurred in November 1999. This fact was significant and it undercut the claim that Romney had departed Bain in 1999 to run the Winter Olympics. On July 2nd, I posted a story on the Candidate Connection History Cycle reporting that Bain had filed SEC documents, including one signed by Romney. A few days later, I received an email from James Carter, a freelance researcher who had information on to share. He didn't mention he was a grandson of President Jimmy Carter and possessed a deep personal motive from unearthing material on Romney who disillusionedly disparaged his grandfather. Connor tipped me off to document about Bain affiliate investment in Chinese firm named Global Tech Appliances, which outsourced manufacturing for U.S. corporations, including Sunbeam and Hamilton Beach. The Global Tech deal had occurred before Romney left Bain. I investigated further and broke the story on July 11th. On the campaign trail in February, I noted Romney had proclaimed, we will not let China continue to steal jobs from the United States. Years earlier, though, he had bet on outsourcing. There were thousands of pages of SED SEC documents to review and discovered that Bain affiliate wholly owned by Romney investigated tens of million dollars in a pair of companies that pioneered the outsourcing of high-tech manufacturing to Mexico, China, and elsewhere. On August 24th, days before the Republican convention was to begin, Carter sent me a link to a YouTube video. It seemed to show Mitt Romney talking about a trip he had taken to China. Romney noted the facility employed thousands of young women working long hours each day, a pittance, and living 12 girls per room. Factory fences, blah, blah, blah. For Romney, the point was not that the harsh conditions faced by Chinese workers, but the wonders of the United States. He went on, the Bain partners I was with, and then he breaks it down that he's an idiot for saying it. The clip had been knocked around on the internet for several months. Someone using the handle Romney Exposed had uploaded along with a few other snippets that seemed to come from the same event. The images were disguised. These clips were essentially audio files and impossible to verify. The China remarks had all been posted on a fake YouTube account under the name of Rachel Maddow. The MSDNC host asked you to shut the channel down, but she did link to the video on her website. After that, every so often a blogger would rediscover this clip. In late August, someone posted it on both the Huffington Post comment section and Daily Coast. Yet its origins remained a mystery. Carter told me he'd found it through a simple YouTube search. At my urging, he started digging. 
On August 27th, the day before the Republic Convention was to open, a new YouTube account set up by Annie Anonymous uploaded some of the clips. Carter discovered that this channel was linked to a Twitter account and sent the owner a private message. He didn't learn the person's identity nor any more details, but informed me that the source would like to get in touch with you. After a series of messages back and forth, this person agreed to send me the entire video recording the Romney fundraiser. He noted the video was about an hour long, but he would not say where or when it was shot. I told AO that I would not use any of the footage without consulting him, for it was clear he wanted to reserve his anonymity. I emailed, I made contact, I'm working with something out, we'll keep you posted. For several days, the source and I went back and forth. The file was too large to email, offered to ship it. I asked if he would send it through a file transfer website. Yes, but a few hours later, he seemed to have second thoughts. I worried he disappeared. I emphasized I had throughout that I would handle the story responsibly. He proposed obscuring the video so no one but Romney would be recognized. But for sharing it, his aim was to keep the focus on the candidate, not the location. I suggest A.O. let me view the video. Then we would discuss nothing. I said, would be done with the video. In Charlotte, while covering the Democratic Convention, I counted the hours of my colleagues in D.C. lay in wait for the mailman. That was finally good enough for him. A.O. told me the video would be sent via regular mail. He finally got it. Romney impersonating Henry Kissinger. Romney saying the Palestinians didn't want peace in the Middle East. Romney declaring 40% of the American were bad. Blah, blah, blah. The package arrives in September. In the opening minutes, Romney was serving up the usual chit-chat. And then he breaks down this whole video. I kept watching as the conversation unfolded along predictable lines. Then one of the donors asked, for the last three years, all everybody has told us, don't worry, we'll take care of you. How are you going to, to, in the two months before the election, to convince everybody you're going to take care? He did the 47%. I was stunned. With conviction and passion, Romney described the election as a face-off between strivers and the parasitic horrors. There were more on the video, Romney discussing his political strategy, saying the campaign was using his wife, Anne, sparingly right now, so people don't get tired of her. My colleagues and I also reviewed the video closely to see if we could discern any indication of editing. We spotted no signs. You can mark my prediction now. A secret recording for closed-door Mitt Romney fundraisers killed Mitt Romney's campaign for president is the outline. My colleagues at Mother Jones and I started to think about the best time to unveil the video. Our lawyers had been consulted, and that would take time. Monday was Jewish New Year. We aimed for Tuesday, September 15th as a release date, but I told my staff that we should get it ready as soon as we responsibly can. I began writing two articles, one focusing on the 47% mark and the other comments Romney had made about the campaign, another featuring his statements on the Middle East. On the evening of September 15th, I was at a party, and AO called the site Political Wired, reposted the China clip, and it had gotten some buzz. Ben LeBolt, the press secretary for Obama, had tweeted about it. And AO said Huffington Post was pressing him for a full video. He assured me there was nothing to worry about. Okay, I thought this is all that matters. A trust. AO, trust me. I just trust AO. Hold tight. On the afternoon of 7th, September 17th, I was driving back to rural Virginia where my family had gone to mark the death of a close friend when I saw an email from Ryan Grimm of Huffington Post. You got the video from the guy in Romney fundraiser? Shit, I thought. I didn't respond. He breaks down how he's trying to protect this. I conferred my colleagues within minutes. We launched our story and embedded excerpts of the video with Romney clearly visible as he spoke. It was an immediate sensation. 
Resorters, reporters besieged me with phone calls. News outlets wanted more information. Tweets were flying. The story exploded. NBC News and ABC News scrambled to show it on the nightly news. Both David Korn and the hashtag, hashtag 40% were top trends on Twitter. A top Obama advisor sent me an email, one word, wow. Following day, Mother Joan posted my second article on the fundraiser, highlighting Romney's remarks about Michelle, the Middle East. Here, too, he was telling his fundraiser something quite different than what he said in public. That afternoon, he posted the entire video file. Readers were free. I couldn't have expected any of this when I first set out to scrutinize Romney's campaign narrative. I was simply doing the day-to-day work of reporting, digging into the candidate's private sector past and following whatever leads would take us. In the end, thanks to AO Initiative, I was able to show millions what average voters are never allowed to witness. A candidate at a, the Ritzy private fundraiser being absolutely candid. As Bob Borwer said, it was a big scoop and one of the most important campaign stories of the year. We don't know what's really said or done behind closed doors. Here somebody went behind closed doors. And the real Romney was revealed. I love this, and I'm glad the listener asked me to cover it. Because I want you to think of this previous election. All the transcripts from her speeches. Nobody dug, nobody videoed. All the research on Romney and Trump. We had very little on the email story in the New York Times other than it's not a crime. No digging into the Clinton Foundation. No digging to anything about Hillary Clinton's past. They bleach the Democratic candidate. They dig into the Republican candidate. And this corn from Mother Jones is the epitome of what our media has become. Look at this article, him gloating December 31st, 2012, about how they did it and how excited they were and when they were going to ruin Romney. And it all was sourced from alt-left websites. And as we go into news and social media nuggets, because I don't want to drag this segment out, it's the past, but it's the present. Do you think a video ever from Breibart, Daily Caller, The Federalist, Town Hall, would ever down a Democratic candidate? It would never see the light of day as... The story right now with Hillary Clinton's Ukraine collusion is not seeing the light of day. No news channel is going to speak out of it. The New York Times is not going to put it on the front cover like they did John Don Jr. and Donald Trump Jr. You're never going to see that. Opposition research is the smoking gun. When all over the internet you can find all sorts of stories about Hillary's opposition research, they've actually bragged about a Russian dossier of fake facts to kill Trump. And they wonder why a majority of Americans don't trust him. And as Chris Matthews makes fun of the rural voters, we have the internet too. We can see both sides do things, but you only investigate, dig into, pry, illegally video conservatives. 
And America like underdogs. And maybe that's why Trump and 1,000 seats were lost by Democrats during the Obama dynasty.
Looking at the Media Bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military corner, military plane crash in Mississippi. A U.S. military plane used for refueling crashed in a soybean field in rural Mississippi on August, Monday, killing at least 16 people aboard. The fire record spreading debris for miles. It hit so hard it flattened it, um, witnesses said, and 16 people died. It's super sad, and God be with their family members. Additionally, one explosion, a pipe bomb, hits a U.S. Air Force recruiting office in Oklahoma. I researched this to find out what it was because it didn't really meet the hit the media because it, once again, you know, <clears throat> bombing recruiting stations is cool with them. Um, it was an ex Air Force member, so it wasn't. Uh, it's like not terrorism. He was upset and he he hit him. Clint Eastwood's going to cast the real-life heroes in the next film, The 1517 to Paris. An unconventional move, Clint Eastwood has tapped Anthony Sadler, Alex Scartalos, and Spencer Stone to play themselves in the next movie. The film will tell the story of the three Americans who stopped a terrorist on board a train bearing for doggone Paris. So, that'll be interesting. It's kind of like the, um, if you've seen... Uh, Oh, what is the dog? My brain just locked. It's one of my favorite movies. Anyway, there was another one done with seals that was really, really good. And they are actual seals. So that's a new way Hollywood is starting to go where they're going to use actual military men to do military stuff. And that's pretty cool. 
And the final is U.S. soldier for Hawaii arrested for links to ISIS. This fucking piece of shit. A U.S. Army soldier on active duty in Hawaii has been charged with providing material support to ISIS. FBI fi- officials identify soldier 34-year-old 34, 34 Ikaka Eric Kang. According to FBI, Kang allegedly attempted to provide military documents and training to ISIS. His service record indicates he was deployed to Afghanistan in 13 and Iraq in 11 and was highly decorated. According to CBS affiliate KGBMB, King was awarded the Global War on Terrorism Medal, and that was it. He was arrested Saturday and is expected to appear in court Monday. FBI said King was subject of a year-long joint investigation. According to a critical complaint, King swore allegiance to ISIS. The FBI, direct, uh, the FBI said it believes King worked as a lone actor. Um... Kang's father was just shocked. He's a great kid. He's not real outgoing, but he's never been. But neither was I. But other than that, he's been a great kid, and I'm just shocked. And that's freaking horrible, and I hope he gets fucking executed. To the crazy. Why not just ban women? The Republican dress code is straight out of The Handmaiden's Tale. This is a real article, and they're just in them. So I've been watching The Handmaiden's Tale. Gosh, it's good, but clearly nothing like could happen in the modern world. Dana, by email. Oh, 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 Dana, you made me laugh. Yes, the TV adaptation of Margaret Atwood's classic is a real doozy, and not just because it's final answer or question as long as the world. What the hell ever happened to Joseph Fuente? Uh, anyway, of course, it's more science fiction. No way in a West, free Western society should women be obliged to cover the bodies entirely or ordained by men, no matter how uncomfortable, blah, 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 blah. Now let's catch up with what's happening in the Republican administration in the U.S. Here we are. Mm-mm-mm. So you may have thought the Republicans are doing quite enough to make American women's lives completely miserable just in their health care bill, defunding Planned Parenthood, putting coverage of silly niche things as postpartum depression, blah, 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 after the blah, 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 blah. Well, we should never underestimate the Republicans' multitasking ability when it comes to treating women like sexualized chattel. Last week, on the very day the House voted on GOP's nasty health care bill, a female journalist, Haley Byrd, was kicked out of the Speaker's lobby. The area outside the House representative where journalists often do interviews because she was wearing a sleeveless dress. Meanwhile, another female was refused entry to a Speaker's lobby because of disgusting, horrorish, irresponsibly tempting shoulders were on display. In order to try to do her job, the journalist ripped pages out of a notebook and stuffed them around the armholes of her dress so she could club cover her slutty upper arms. But this was still deemed unacceptable. Be gone with you, slattering. So first, let's get a couple things straight. Yes, there's always been a house dress code which states rather vaguely that people should dress appropriate. What this means is left up to the speaker. Step forward, one Paul Ryan. And yes, these rules have existed over a decade in the former speaker Nancy Pelosi. However, Byrd said officers on patrol have been cracking down on dress codes. I suspect the rules are being emphasized now that it's summertime and excruciating hot, blah, blah, blah. So she's equating this to the handmail tale for another... Five pages of stupidity. She was dressed inappropriately. Men get corrected for being dressed inappropriately in the Capitol and kicked out. But I don't see you do a screed on it. So go fuck yourself. Washington Post, feel good abortion play offset crazy anti-abortion activists. When the liberal media call everything to do with abortion funny, they reveal just how out of touch they are. There's a disconnect with both of the pro-lifers who believe one person always dies in abortion and even with many abortion supporters who claim it's a serious choice. But that's exactly what Washington Post staff writer Amanda Erickson did in a recent review of the new Washington, D.C. play, Abortion Road Trip. <clears throat> From the beginning, Erickson applauded the rare thing by calling the play a zippy feel-good comedy 
that has managed to attract protesters before every performance. Every performance. But protesters aren't the only thing a feel-good comedy about abortion attracts. The terminology also guarantees glowing media reviews besides Erickson's, Erickson's own review. There's a grandma, which is the liberal media laughed as a funny abortion film. Or Obvious Child, which it praises abortion romantic comedy. This play centers on a main character, 25-year-old Lex, as she travels from Texas to New Mexico in a $1,200 taxi cab for an abortion or to terminate, as Erickson said. According to Erickson, the cast both perfect perfection. Lex is played by the charismatic Lauren Patton, her sister Minnie by the casting charming Dominique Brown, and blah, blah, blah. While most of the show takes place during the road trip, Erickson assists in a series of flashbacks reveal a more complicated story, but it includes sexual assault, substance abuse, betrayal, and yes, love. Oh, shut up! The cool stuff! Amazing human chain performed to rescue drowning family in Pensacola Beach, or Panama City Beach. It was supposed to just be a quick trip to the beach, but Saturday afternoon, diversion to the water almost ended in an unspeakable tragedy for Roberta Ursay and her family. Ursay and her husband, mother, nephew, and summer enjoying the sun in yellow flag condition near M.B. Miller County Pier. Ursay herself had just left the water, but then she turned around, like her son, she noticed, and a bunch of people got together and saved them and pulled them out with the human chain. It's a huge article, but it's fantastic. Good on them. Nice to see people just not sit and watch while other people are about to die, which happens in New York City all the time. Just great. Good on you, New York. This goes in the weird category. Woman munches on random diner's arm in a steakhouse. I didn't make that up. A woman eating lunch at Peter Luger's Steakhouse in Brooklyn took a bite out of another diner's arm. The incident folded around 4.10 p.m. inside South Williamsburg Staple as stunned patrons were chowing down on suckling cuts of famous sauce, according to police. After biting the 50-year-old woman, the hungry suspect fled the restaurant and first responded to treat her victim at the scene. Police said the attack appeared to be unprovoked. They couldn't find the lady. Hmm. What the fuck? But here's another one. Death by Volcano! A man reportedly killed himself on Kilauea Kilawa Volcano, I don't know to say, in Hawaii after he left a suicide note and dumped backpack. Leo Adonis, who was born Gregory Michael Uru, was found in a crater on a volcano in National Park at about 20, 250 feet below the walking trail. Adonis' father said 30-year-old son lived in Petulama, California, but really loved Hawaii. He also added that Adonis had left a suicide note at the bank discovered around 7 p.m. Rangers began looking for the owner. The body was found Sunday morning by rangers searching by helicopter. What the fuck? Wow, what a way to go. Gotta be an easier way. Like this. Texas teen electrocuted after cell phone incident. What a horrible way to go. A 14-year-old girl from Lubbock <clears throat> died early after being electrocuted by a ba- in a bathtub. Uh, Madison Co. mother and grandmother tells us she was in a bathtub and either plugged her phone or simply grabbed her phone that was already plugged in. Madison just graduated from 8th grade. And because she was in the water, she was electrocuted. Damn. No more faith in humanity. A day in the life of Berlin Facebook moderators. I still remember the first beheading video I turned off, went outside and wept a little. But she said that was her only breakdown because the first time was she was unprepared. Now we're used to it. That's got to be sad. It was the first time journalists were allowed to speak with three workers at Facebook's deletion center, <clears throat> though they were not allowed to give their names. In a total of 650 people working a man, uh, operation to examine and delete posts. 
And London's really into this. This all come from learning. Uh, they alert Facebook when they believe that someone has harmed themselves. The workers have already been able to prevent suicides through subsequent contact with police. Facebook is now facing increased pressure in Germany government to crack down on hate speech. Recently passed a law to fine social media companies $50 million for not swiftly removing illegal contact. Which is pretty good, and that'll probably happen to us. Um, as a team, I do not know if someone needs support or not, said one employee during the media visit, noting that workers are told to report such issues themselves. No one can read minds, and the support has already been available for some time. Inside the building, stickers are posted around workspaces with contact information for psychological support, which our Bonto manager, Karsten Koenig, said was not always the case. He admitted that perhaps... They could have made other offers. The employees themselves, under the watch of both Urbano and Facebook, expressed being hurt by the reports of poor treatment. I was really upset about it. We save lives. We feel good about what we do. The office itself feels like any other in the big company. Long rows of desks with 10 to 12 people each. Space for around 60. Uh, but there's also a white wall with iconic Facebook like thumbs up and fruit and vegetables. The office also offers yoga classes. Each of the three workers speaking with reporters have been at the Moderation Center for at least a year. Newcomers are given a week of orientation and then a multi-week training course. I realized that when I couldn't... The rest of the story fucking But they go into all the stuff they have to break down and check and they're the people that the left is relying on to save us from any anti-liberal news. 15 pounds of marijuana left on side of a 210 freeway are discovered by a council person. Unbelievable. La Prensa. That's a lot of fucking weed. Female rapists leave teacher for dead. A 39-year-old Machiki man is admitted at Windsor Hospital after three suspect females rapists allegedly took turns sexually abusing him. Police are trying to track down a suspect who were using a BMW with South African registration numbers. The complainant said to be in stable condition. But according to first information obtained by this paper, July 2nd at around 5 p.m., the complaint, whose name cannot be published to protect his identity, was at a Makoni bus stop in Chitsuiza, waiting for transport to Mandorena and route to Machika, where he works. A dark blue BMW with South African license plates allegedly offered him a lift. The vehicle had three females and a male. The complainant occupied the back seat. It's alleged that along the way, the complainant was offered a cordial juice. When he accepted, he felt dizzy and fell asleep. On July 3rd at 2 p.m., the complainant woke up and found that he was in a small dark room and his manhood was completely bruised. He also realized that his cash was missing. Two women allegedly entered the room and demanded sexual intercourse, but he refused. One of the women produced a pistol and threatened to kill him. The women then tied the complainant's hand and forcibly offered him another bottle of juice. One of the women allegedly removed her clothes and started caressing complaining, complaining before having sexual intercourse. After the act, the other woman then had unprotected sex with the victim, despite pleas for Macaulay to stop abusing him. And this went on and on. And wow, you don't hear that all the time. Um, that's pretty weird. What the hell? Ghoulish Online Game urges young people to end their lives. This is the blue whale, and you need to be lo- a kid hung himself. Uh, found hanging in bedroom, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. A porn on the boy's death in San Francisco, blah, 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 blah. But Gonzalez Femmes' day of the team death, the piece together, so no. His sister lets to a TV station that a person behind the challenge had gathered personal information on Isaiah and threatened to harm the family. The police department did not return a message. But what it is, is they're, like, trying to bait them to kill themselves. Um, 
parents to monitor. It's a reminder of one of the many dangers and vulnerabilities that children face using various social media. Parents must remain vigilant and monitor their children's usage of the internet. Educators, law enforcement, and parents across the country reported rumors of the challenge for months, but until weeks, there have been no allegations in the United States. Suicides in Russia, Brazil, and a half dozen other countries are poorly linked to it. Notes have been posted on school district social media pages and sent home to parents. Danbury police uh, sent a short note to parents around five, uh, around May after administrators from the district's 19 schools started hearing about the challenge all the way down to um, grade school. Participants are allegedly required to take pictures of their challenges being com- completed and share them before being directed to end their lives on their 50th day. A search of related hashtag on Instagram showed users posting pictures of scars, cuts, memes, and big suicide, and similar Twitter search show users reaching out for creators to lead them through the game. What the fuck is wrong with people? Getting kids to commit suicide. Seriously. So Blue Whale, research it. If you got kids, get them away from it. SFO near miss might have triggered greatest aviation disaster in history. What aviation experts call the near miss of what could have been the largest aviation disaster era. Era, An Air Canada pilot on Friday nearly avoided a tragic mistake landing on the San Francisco International Airport taxiway instead of the runway. Sitting on taxiway seashore before the midnight were four planes full of passengers fuel awaiting permission to take off according to Federal Aviation Administration which is investigating the rare incident an air traffic controller sent the descending Air Canada Airbus on a go-around an unusual event where pilots would pull out and circle around before the safe landing. FAA investigators are still trying to determine how close the Air Canada aircraft came to landing on top of the four aircraft. Sweet lord that's horrible. That's horrible. Mm. That's a confusing airport. I've never been out there, though. There's a lot of runways. So they should at least be GPSing. Older Hondas and newer Toyotas are among the country's most stolen vehicles. In total, thieves made off of 50,427 Accords, 49,547 Civics, compared with 32,000 Ford trucks, 31,000 Chevy trucks, and 16,000 Camrays. California accounted for 26,792 of those Civics and 25,000 Accords. So California is a place you probably don't want to go visit. It's a lot of car stealing. Lightning bolt in the hand. NB man survives lightning strike while giving daughter's wedding speech a single scorch mark on his thumb. A New Brunswick man said he was trying was trying to steal anyone's thunder when he gave a speech at his daughter's wedding, but it did shock his family. <clears throat> Nato said he had back turned towards a storm while giving a speech and was unaware of a storm cloud approaching. He said his daughter stood nearby when he saw the lightning strike behind him, shooting a bolt of electricity through his body. Wow. That's horrible. Said, and I'm looking at my hand, it's all flared up. It was like I was holding a lightning bolt. It was amazing. I won't forget that speech. Snakes on a plane. King Cobras found an express mail at JFK Airport. 
They, expand, exp, they examined the express mail from Hong Kong. The contents of one package described as a plastic tray, but an x-ray showed it appeared to be snakes. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Reserve was called to examine the package and found a styrofoam casing with rows of holes. They determined the package did contain five live king cobras and three geckos. What the fuck? That's just freaking horrible. And that takes us to our letter fair. So a hashtag went up. We bring back Obama was trending as the resist crowd lamented the constitutional prohibition of a third Obama term. Unfortunately, conservatives took it over. Sean Spicier, the fake John Spicer, bring back Obama will probably work as well as bring back our girls did. That's pretty true. He also said bring back Obama and tell him my $2,500 Obamacare saving must have gotten lost in the mail. <laughs> right wired. Someone just tweeted without a smidgen of sarcasm or any, bring back Obama, we need toughness in the White House. They show him doing like two pound weights in the White House. Angelo Ray Gomez, liberals want to bring back Obama, which shows why they lost and why they'll continue to lose. Luckily, there are Americans who can see reality. Jim Tretcher, bring back Obama, signed every single GOP candidate for the next decade. Liz peak bring back obama please best thing that ever happened to the gop and they show all the democratic losses for america so great he lost the democrats 900 plus seat in eight years but yeah with a huge meme republican share of the senate state legislative seats have grown from 44 to 56 republicans control 67 of 98 legislative chambers another one acosta's tantrum Bring back Obama, maybe he can lose 1,000 more seats. That was a big theme. Sarah H. Sandiers, we can't bring back Obama. He's too busy hanging out with his new billionaire friends and reaping the rewards of doing nothing for eight years. And then a dog tweeted, Dave Lynn, I asked Patton about this bring back Obama tag and if he would like to see Obama back in office. And the dog stared like, yeah, no. And another Twitter liberal journalist tweeted that fake news is just to condition the base so something drops they will think it's fake. And Chuck Todd said, this is my strategy. That is somehow a strategy. It's beyond, sorry, I read that all fucked up. This is my greatest fear. This is, that this is somehow a strategy. It's beyond cynical. And somebody replied, it could also be true that media has chosen sides. Your show conveys less verified information than speculation daily. That's the problem! Which is so true. People did a cover of Planned Parenthood Wonder Woman Cecil Richard. She's fighting to save healthcare for millions and makes a mean cherry pie. And they try to make this monster so fucking normal. When Ivanka Trump asked Cecil Richard for a private meeting earlier this year, the Planned Parenthood president Hope won out over her deep differences with the White House for this first daughter represented. Like her father, she knew Planned Parenthood did a lot of good. I feel she was incredibly sympathetic, Richard recalls, at that early winter sit-down. I hope she would use her influence and her role to speak up for women in the country. But it's not about talk, it's about action. You might call that a life mantra for Richards, a marathon-running, passionately committed dynamo whose activism started in middle school and is now marshalling thousands in the battle with President Trump. GOP over women's health. This White House has been my 
Been worse for women than any administration in my lifetime, Richard 60 tells people. I just had to cover it because I think it's hilarious. You can make that monster a people person and sure, making a cherry pie as she destroys young women's lives with 1,096,000 abortions a year. Another one, Flipivic, having children is one of the worst things you can do for the planet. Have one less and conserve resources. She wrote a whole article. In this, they had a neat little stat. I don't think I got it, but it was like, drive a car, be vegan, don't have kids. Seriously. That, that was her article. Basically, live in a fucking cave, except for me, but get rid of your kids. And Soledad O'Brien, I mean, Dana Loesch said, your parents had you, maybe they shouldn't. But Soledad O'Brien, who's a super liberal, so what would you suggest I do with the four I've already got? Get rid of them? A liberal even said, you're just a hateful, hateful bitch. And that's what she is. So our audio lighter fair is Because America, That's Why, by Matt Best 11X. You can find it on his YouTube channel. A lot of people call my videos offensive. Well, fuck you. People ask us why we have so many guns. I just tell them, how about over 200 years of freedom, bitch? Black Rifle Coffee Company, we have a coffee club, which means you spend less time ordering and more time doing what you love. No look! And I actually hit that. Instead of worrying about microaggressions and what bathroom I'm going to use, I believe it's important to support the people that actually serve our country. Christmas! I ain't of fire! Unlike your competitors who just rebag other people's coffee, we roast ours right here in-house. Evan! Fresh Roasted Freedom. I've heard people say patriotism is racism. Well, as a veteran-owned company, we give zero fucks about your opinion. Hey, Evan. Hey, Matt. Good to see you. Nice ass. I love that video. That's a good one. Shooting 50 cows, old doggone thing. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flower Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast dot com. It's a theme. And there you can email us. You can also see links to every episode on the episode release page and my blogs on the blog page. Woo! This was a long podcast and I had to jam the end because I got to get to work. Next podcast will be Monday, Monday, 17 July, year of our Lord. 2017 will be a normal one. I hope all of you have a fantastic weekend. Check out the website. I'll be doing a blog tonight while I'm at work uh, about this podcast. I'm going to try to get a blog out this weekend. Uh, But have a good weekend. Enjoy your family and friends and those you love. Remember to stop, smell the roses, take a pause from all the stupidest shit. The stupidest shit. The stupidest shit. And remember, I thank you all. 
for listening. Take care. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.